Welcome, Cow Horse. Full contact by Ben Self with host Chris Dawson and Russell Dilday. This episode brought to you by Triple Crown Feed. Always beyond. I can't believe that this is actually happening. I know. We are sitting here in the iconic Will Rogers Coliseum in the cow box. We should, Ben's going to share a picture of this on the Facebook page. Of course. Um, but uh, we have got so much history hanging out of the rafters of this building right now with all the Snout Bit Fraternity champions, and we are sitting next to the, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am without him because uh, he shaped my wife so much. (laughs) So uh, when all you girls out there are wondering how did Sarah Dawson end up being Sarah Dawson, well, John Rozier had a big part to play in that, and here he is, the man. Legendary. The myth. The (laughs) myth. Myths aren't factual. It's not a myth. He's right there in paper and paint. How many times were we up there? 1990. One time. One time. John Rozier and Otto Master. Oh, because you tied with Crawford that year, huh? I was reserve, I think, four times and won it only once. Well, I tell you what, when I was reserve, they said that second place is the first loser, and I'm telling you what, I was like, if this is the first loser, I'll take this every year and not have no troubles about it. No, the reserve was, it was good. It's a good win, you know, for me. It wasn't a first loser, but it was always good to even make the finals. He did a lot. I don't remember him ever not being a force. And now he's just another old bald man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not discrimination if you're bald and you're talking about it. Uh, (laughs) Tell you what he did do is marry way above himself. Yeah, I did. For sure. How'd you do that? How'd you meet her? I, You know, I met her at the... They had the stakes up in Idaho. And I met her up there. Uh, Andy Reynolds introduced me to her. She met her. And we... We went out, <clears throat> just just went out one night during that the stakes, and uh, just stayed in contact, you know, and got together, and we had a long distance relationship for like seven years before I moved to Idaho, back to Idaho. Maybe that's the secret. Maybe that's how you long distance. Her. Yeah, we were always wondering. Both of us were wondering what it'd be like when we actually moved in together. <laughs> This will be the end. I remember taking bets. Hey, when they move in, it's over. Yeah, but I married way up. She's she's been been great for me and and uh, a blessing for sure. And we could almost mix them up. Their names are pretty close. Yeah, she had a couple daughters. I've really enjoyed. You know, her son Gage and Tyler and Kelsey, and and they've been a blessing as well. Just. <clears throat> You know, it was uh, it was kind of like that hometown girl that just you felt something right about her from the get go, and and we've we've just got along. We're kind of 
a good match, I guess, because we've got along great. How long now? 13 years. Ooh. Yeah. This is so funny. We get guys in here, and I think, man, they're just going to, like, just be naturals and fall into it. And, I mean, it's so cold. <laughs> like, 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 he's sitting here like straight back staring up here at these flags he can't just read doing, them he's doing, I mean, he can't read them damn it <laughs> leave us alone <laughs> we get to a certain age <laughs> what about winning on Odomaster Roge because I remember it and it was he was a high headed little feller but yeah. he was insane athletic at the time it's funny because when uh <clears throat> when i went to work for greg ward he had master amity and master amity was a three-year-old just turned three in in uh the year i was there i think it was uh 1983 i believe um when he was a three-year-old and i got to turn back for greg just about every day and i i don't know if that horse ever seen the same cow twice because he'd run in about five fresh ones every morning for for master remedy and i watch him cut in the in the big rope and arena i watch him cut in the round pen a lot and uh and i just <clears throat> i'd never seen a horse that i was that impressed with he was so athletic and he would he would lock and crouch in front of a cow and do things that i'd never really seen before and uh i was real excited when i got odo master as a two-year-old i just went out on my own and uh you know he was just one of those horses that i spent a lot of time on got him real broke and and it's funny when they show video clips of him it's always the rain work where he's running down there he's got his head up and my feet toes go down my feet go back my hands are behind my hips and i'm sawing on him trying to keep his head down but he would run and drag it and slide 25 30 feet every time you know but he was really good on a cow and uh, really good down the fence. Very athletic horse. I don't know with today's horses, you know, if it, a lot of top trainers maybe wouldn't take him, but you know, he was just a real athlete. And and I I cut on him after that. I came back as a four-year-old and took him to the Super Stakes, made the semifinals on him, and and cut on him quite a bit after that. And back in that era, after the Futurity, there wasn't many places to go with your horse. So a lot of our horses we would go to the cuttings after the snaffle with fraternity. Did you, but you won some, you did some more cow horse on him, didn't you win yeah. the maturity or the stakes at Greg's? I, you know, I don't know if it was the first year they had the stakes, but yeah, I came back and won that. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean, we did show him the cow horse. I don't remember ever showing him in the bridle. But I think the owner, Kibby Maxwell, showed him in some club cuttings around there after that. And I want to say when he was five, they took him home, you know, and, and mm. she cut on him a little bit. I had a colt out of him. Yeah. One time. And uh, about the second or third day I rode him, I had a brand new, we had just, Scott Trueblood loaned me the money to build a big arena. And... Uh, we're just, I wanted to use it so bad. And I got that horse good enough to go in it and I run down the fence the second or third day on him and he swallowed the first turn. Just that they're just natural as hell. You know, they. I think that Oto name was uh, Sugar Bars Bread. And you know, a lot of them sugar bars, Greg Ward's horseshoer, Lee Dooley, you probably remember Lee, but yeah. he, 
he trained sugar bars to, uh, for the track, and, and he said sometimes he'd run hard, and he said some days you couldn't get him out of a trot. But I know that he ended up siring a lot of rope horses and had some a little more substance and a little more bone and, and size to him. Uh, but that, that's what that horse would read like on the bottom side. Mm. How did you wind up at Greg's? You know, I, I'm going to go back when I, when I was, <clears throat> I, I went to college and college rodeoed. I came home and after a year of college and I was, I was working construction and uh, my dad trained horses and he just said, you know, if I was a young man, I'd probably go down and apprentice for one of them top trainers in California. So I ended up uh, taking his advice and he called Greg and Greg did not have an opening at that time. But Greg knew somebody that, that needed help, and it was Benny Gatron. So I went to Benny's in uh, <clears throat> 1982 and, and worked for Benny for a year and, and witnessed my first snaffle bit fraternity in 1982, which was the largest fraternity back then. It, it had 300 horses, and I think it paid 75000 And I remember looking at some old, you know, handwritten paperwork uh, in Jim Putnam's office because they repoed, they went up there and they took uh, the NRCHA, they took it over and brought it to Jim Putnam's barn who I, where I trained out of and I looked through some old paperwork and seen that the entry fees then were like $750 for an entry. $750 to win $75,000? Yeah. In 1982. Wow. But that was my first fraternity and it was a big one and it was pretty cool and I kind of didn't know what to expect. I'd seen the Idaho fraternity uh, in the early, probably late 70s, you know, 76, 77. I think my dad went to the first fraternity in 73, and he went back in maybe 77. Um, but, you know, he's the one that kind of got it all started for us. He was a, you know, he was a former rodeo cowboy, and then he went and and he uh, he would go to the Cow Palace and Salinas, and he'd visit with Johnny Brazil and Tony Amarell and people, and and just ask him a lot of questions, like about the Hackamore and, and what they were doing with it. And and he was one of those trainers that that just had a lot of timing, had a lot of natural feel, and uh, and he just was kind of self-taught, you know. And I think growing up, like in '82, I think he ended up fourth in the fraternity. Mm. So he was there on a horse named Dry Sand that went on to become a really uh, great cutting horse. And, and I think Todd Bmat kind of started his career. And Todd won four Pacific Coast uh, Open Championships on that, that stud, um, you know, and kind of got his start, really. He was one that Todd worked for Chubby, and Chubby got him in training after my dad had him. And uh, <clears throat> But Dry Sand was a... He was just, you know, I remember him before I left. I used to be a, my dad used to work me on foot, you know, and he said if that horse creeping up there, he'd have me take a buggy whip and crack him on the front legs. <laughs> and pretty soon he started crawling around and doing some stuff. But he was just, you know, back in the early 80s, um, cutting was really big in California. And, and uh, Gary Belafonte, Lindy Birch, Chubby Turner, um, you can go on down the list. There's a lot of them that live in California, and they used to claim that Clements, California, was the cutting capital of the world, you know, back in the early 80s. Wow. Kathy Dawn, you know, you can go on. 
there was a lot of them that lived there. Yeah. Hey, Ben, make his mic longer so he can back up. Back him up. Yeah, let him sit down so he's not sitting there like he's got a board <laughs> taped right, so to him. how you would like to sit. Well, just back you. him up so we can see. Back your whole chair up. I can move my chair forward. Or backwards. <laughs> no, go backwards. Back. Go way back so we can see you. I can't move it. Okay. I can't see Chris. I see. We can make this thing come hell. There we go. Oh, yeah. There it is. Ah. Ah. Now. I could see you, but I had to look through his ear. <laughs> <laughs> so, was your uh, was Dan training? You're the youngest, um, right? I'm the third. There's oh, you are one younger. Mark's younger. Yeah, Mark's the youngest. Oh, that's right. So Dan was already training. Um, he he kind of cracked out early. It seemed like had his own place. And and uh, as a kid, he started a lot of race horses. And he did the quarter shows. You know, he was a team roper, calf roper, and he did a lot of quarter showing and and showed a lot of rope horses and got into the ring cow horse um, after you know he started showing in AQHA. Well, yeah, it was always a very loving, nurturing group the four of you oh yeah was, <laughs> you know it, it, it was pretty western growing up um my mother passed away when i was 10 years old and i think there were seven years my dad was single and sometimes he was there and sometimes he wasn't there so it was it was a little western because we lived in a kind of a rural area you know and uh i think dan since he was the oldest he tried to control things and uh but it was just, I, it's kind of fortunate that we all survived. And you guys resisted his uh, instructions? Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, there was two of us that were non-fighters and two of us that were fighters. So, you know, I was kind of the non-fighter. Uh, but my youngest, the second and the fourth was, they were, they kind of were a little hotter tempered and liked to fight. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to avoid it at all costs. And, that probably didn't always work. No, it was, uh, you know, it was good. We we always had, like, roping cattle around there. We did a lot of rodeoing growing up and, and had 20 head of roping steers around there, as I remember as a kid. I think I roped from the time I was 8 years old. I was roping steers out of the box. And, uh, you know, we started, you know, riding steers and ponies and breakaway rope and team roping. And that's kind of how we grew up. And, and we also... You know, my dad didn't have stall cleaners and apprentices. He had four sons that, you know, we, we were kind of required to come home after school and, and either, you know, do chores, and, and we roped a lot, though. He uh, raised his labor force. He did. Yes, sir. Uh, did you think you were going to be a trainer young? You know, I didn't. I, it's funny that I didn't think much about it, what I was going to do when I was young. <laughs> I was kind of, I you know, I thought, I thought, I thought, uh, I thought I was going to be a like a, a PRCA, you know, rodeo cowboy for for a lot of years, and I actually, you know, I went with my other two brothers and kind of followed them, and we college rodeoed on scholarships, and and uh, you know, I just I really liked the calf roping and and worked at it a lot, but I think that you know it was back then it was hard to get any sponsorships, and it was something that. 
you know, you'd work during the week and go to the rodeos on the weekend. And it was just, that's why my dad said, you know, this is a, maybe a better option to go down there and apprentice for somebody in California. Mm. That's why yeah. I took him up on that. What event did your dad do? My dad went to the finals five times in the <clears throat> bareback riding and the bronc riding. And he was a rough stock guy, but he kind of encouraged us to, we were probably bigger than he was when he was younger. Uh, so he encouraged us not to do the rough stock. And, and I had one brother rode barebacks for a long time. But I rode barebacks through college. And, and the last two I got on, I hung up on. And, and I kind of retired from the bareback riding after that. <laughs> Your dad is in two Hall of Fames. Is that right? I think he's just in the NRCHA Hall of Fame, to my knowledge. He's the only one that's made both. He's made the NFR for a long time. He was the only one that had made the NFR finals and the Snaffle Bit yes, Finals. That's, that's what correct. it was. No yeah. kidding. Yep. Yep. I know five I, times. Five times to the, NFR. the NFR. That that's impressive. Yeah. And he Junior. was you know, he was he he was married young, had kids young and I think that he didn't go very much. One year, those old rodeo sports news back in the day, I'd, I'd read it. I mean, they were like the Bible to me, but I'd, I knew every bronc rider and every, you know, buddy in there. But it said that they'd like to see his cowboy go more. I think he ended up like 13th that year, and it said he only went to 37 rodeos that year, but he placed at 35. So he never, he never went a lot, but he had the he, – he rode war paint. He, he drew war paint. Uh, 13 times and had uh, seven qualified rides on him and I think he was the one guy that kind of figured him out and my dad always said that he was one of those horses that would rear out and people miss him out and they didn't always get bucked off but they miss him the first three jumps were pretty rank and then after that he just level off but uh, you know he also they had back in his era they had in, here in Fort Worth, they had a, a bronc ride, and they, they invited a lot of the top bronc riders, and it was a six-header. And they brought some of the toughest broncs they could bring, and he ended up uh, he ended up winning that, you know, probably in the, you know, late 50s or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, he, he, could, he could always cover the rank ones, you know, and he, he was uh, – he bulldogged a little bit, but he mostly rode South Bronx and Bearbacks. Probably had the most success in the Bronx riding. Uh, was he raised there in Idaho? He was. And, uh, you know, he grew up in town, and my, my great-grandfather owned a sale yard, one of the first sale yards uh, they built in the Treasure Valley there. And he grew up there, but they traded a lot of horses. They had a lot of wild horses around, and uh -huh. they'd get those horses and and him and his high school buddies, and they'd ride them. But they, they had a lot of horses that they broke and my you know right where the Colonel rodeo grounds are and that simplot stadium my great-grandfather bought that ground and had a sale yard and he had a trading barn where he huh. traded horses and and you know he traded horses and he traded uh you know he sold cattle at the sale yard there but he my great-grandfather came from south dakota and uh he had a contract with uh <laughs> with the cavalry and they sold the mules horses and beef and then they disbanded the cavalry he lost that contract and and he ended up during the depression and the dust bowl they moved to idaho in like 1929 and uh built that sale yard there so my great-grandfather was involved with horses my grandfather my dad you know i'm i'm like fourth or 
maybe fifth generation, you know, huh. being around horses. Where did you guys come from? What nationality? German mostly, mm. you know. Yeah, my, uh, I guess it was Peter, well, you know, I didn't know much about our genealogy and I asked my grandfather's sister and she said they came from Alsace-Lorraine, which was a, somewhere up by Germany. Uh. And, and they came here in like 1875 and settled in Pennsylvania, then Iowa, then, uh, then South Dakota. And what's interesting is there was a, Charles was a pretty prominent name in our, in our family. And here in the Will Rogers, underneath the big, uh, the big tower, you know, they've got they've got a bronze over there of of Will Rogers, and on that there's five names, and one of them's Charles Rozier, and I don't know if he was a descendant or not. I've tried to Google that, but I never did find out. Oh, really? But I know there there's not that's not a real common name, uh, but but some of them ended up, you know, drifting here and there. There's some in in uh, down by uh, Southern Nevada. You know, and oh, we know, there's some in Chicago and, and then the rest are in Idaho. Uh, there's not a lot of Rogers. Kind of like Dilday's. <laughs> not common. You're <laughs> <laughs> the only one I've met. I had one call me three days ago. Uh, just a random Dilday? Yeah. Said, heard my name. He's never heard of another one. He thought they were the only ones. I'm like, oh. Nope. <laughs> Sorry to spoil your fun. <laughs> There's more of you. Well, I know when I went to Todd's, he had these two saddle pads that he kept. They were in plastic, and they only got brought out at the Snaff Bit Fraternity, and they were the Jim Rozier Bridle Horse Champion pads. Yeah. And he only and he used them only at the Snaffle Bit, and I mean, and it was like, I was like, man, I've heard about some superstitions, but man, this is. This guy's got these two in a case. <laughs> and he only breaks them out at this one horse show. Yeah. And they've had the, you know, the Derby in Idaho that's been the Jim Rozier Memorial for years, uh, Jim and Carlene Rozier. But, um, yeah, I remember Todd showing in that blanket, and I think he won it at Fresno one year because the bridal class, they they, they kind of made that in his honor. Uh, so I, I remember that back in Fresno. I when did – your dad died. Ninety-eight, I believe oh. it was. Um, yeah, it was ninety-eight. Uh, that's a little bit ago. Remnick's pet. Damn, right before Greg. Yeah, it was pretty close there. Yeah, and he was, uh, you know, he was on the ranch, and <clears throat> he he had bought a ranch. We we were raised down in the valley, but he'd bought a ranch, and my dad was one of them guys that, you know, he could have been from the 1800s because he liked the ranching lifestyle he had a team of horses a three three abreast team that they fed with and and uh he just liked that lifestyle but he was up there moving cows and and had an accident and they had to life flight him out of there uh and and that accident kind of you know messed up his equilibrium but he never weakened and and it was about a year later same similar deal happened and and it ended up dying from it so uh. on the ranch i guess you know i i kind of uh, died with his boots on doing what he loved so you know i had some kind of yeah. comfort in that but um certainly too young though how old was he i think he was 62 oh dang yeah he was young wow dang young 
but he was he was kind of my idol i think most of my brothers really kind of looked up to him because uh you know if he said something that's what he did and and he his horses uh he just was a master at getting one soft i know bobby ingersoll benny catrone all them less vote a lot of them guys would always compliment how soft his horses were but he was just one of those guys that had a lot of timing a lot of feel and and i kind of always kind of watch what he did and and like i said he in that era it was everything was kind of a secret you know and and they didn't really there wasn't videos and their people didn't talk about what they're doing they didn't want to give up their street secrets but he was probably one of those guys that could watch and pick up on stuff and learn um but he had his horse were soft is you know he well disciplined i think his kids were he had us pretty softened up too and pretty (laughs) (laughs) i know jake uh goral spoke about the team when he was there and it ran off with him it did (laughs) yeah that was i was in california already but jake was going to college there at college of idaho and caldwell and he was living out on the ranch and he was fixing fence and doing regular ranch work you know and feeding cows and and anyway, they, my dad had a hard man, and him and Jake were feeding one day, and I guess this team kind of takes off with them, and they're in a pasture. And, and the guy, Jake's on the back, and he falls off with all the hay. And and Vern, the guy driving the wagon, he just pulled him around the left. And, and the, you know, you got your brokest one on the left side, and they, they just go in a circle. Pretty soon there about 70 bales of hay under that wagon. Finally got him slowed down and got him stopped. But there's a couple other stories up there on the ranch. I guess one time... Wade Rainey has a brand new Dodge pickup and they got a trailer on and they're they go up a pretty they're going up a pretty steep incline and and um, I think Dan's with them and maybe it's Jake Gorl and Wade Rainey are all in the truck and Wade's kind of baby in this Dodge along and and they said you better get on it you're not going to make it up there so all of a sudden this thing starts spinning and then it starts rolling backwards and they're pretty soon they're going about 30 40 miles an hour backwards with a trailer on oh and Jake is in the back seat. <laughs> Pretty soon he jumps up into the front seat because he thinks that trailer's coming right through the back window. And they, it was, yeah, there was some stuff happening on the ranch. It was pretty, pretty Western up there at times. But, you know, Jake was there and he ended up, uh, my dad was starting some colts and he, he got on a few of them for him. And, and he told my dad he really enjoyed it, you know. And he said, I don't know if I want to be an accountant or, you know. I don't know if it was an accountant or a financial guy or whatever, but he he said, well, if you really like this, maybe you ought to go down there to California and work for John. So that's when he come down there. When I was in Visalia, come down there and went to work for Yeah, him. he come down there and got so drunk you fell asleep standing up in a corner. Yeah, day one, day one. <laughs> On Jake, day one? Day one. Day one. <laughs> Jake, that's Jamie a hell of a Beamer's job interview. Party. <laughs> Jake, he drove down there. I don't know if it was Jamie Beamer and his wife Kathy. Maybe there was a Putnam put some weddings on there, and Jake come down there and you know, uh, and I think that they had a they had a bar and they had a band and they had all this stuff. And Jake started. I think Danny Catano got him drinking a little bit, and uh, pretty soon it's like it's getting later. It's like. 11 30 and i'm wondering where jake is you know i walk all over and i told him he's going to be in this room right here in the barn had an apartment there and uh so i start looking for jake and he's nowhere to be found and i go out there they had a pool that they swam you know for horses and and i i walk all over that place pretty soon over there 
kind of by the party there's the where the fence comes into the barn he's standing there wedged up his head's between the barn and the fence and he's standing up sleeping <laughs> so i tell him i said hey jake uh why don't you just come over to my house because i lived right just i mean right around the corner i lived on the property in a house and i said why don't you just come over to my house and you can stay over there tonight and he goes no he goes i'm gonna go home john and i go jake you're in california you you're from idaho you, it's a long drive <laughs> and so anyway i he's like no i'll be all right really i'll be all right so i i get him finally convinced that he's going to stay there and he pulls his truck over there and i said why don't you just pull up and i roll my window down which park right there he throws that ford in reverse and backs up and i had a basketball hoop there he missed it by inches but anyway we got jake settled in there and, and it, jake was it was all good after that <laughs> i think it was the drive that got him though uh, yeah, it'll do it to you. I've had it happen. Then how long was he with you? After he that? was there a couple of years, and and you know, right then, uh, when I was working uh, there at Jim Putnam's in Visalia, uh, I got I had a mare that I showed at the cutting fraternity back here, and I, I want to say it was uh, probably ninety seven. Um, I had a little peppy mare that was just a really really good horse and i took her to cut in fraternity and and when i went to sweetwater to the pre-work it's the year that gary belafont won the fraternity on pepto bismol well at the pre-work everybody wants a buyer and buster welch is there and and greg and uh you know and gary belafont and all those guys are there and and uh, anyway that mayor that mayor and pepto bismol were head above the rest at the pre-work and everybody's wanting to buy her you know right off the bat and uh but anyway, after that, Paula ended up, Paula Gone ended up wanting to buy that mare, and she did buy her when she was a four-year-old. I took her to Vegas as a four-year-old, and I think Pepto Bunswell won the four-year-old deal, and I ended up third on, on her. And uh, anyway, Paula bought her right there, and, and then shortly after that, Paula called me and wanted me to come to work for her. So Jake was there at the ranch, and I took Eric Martin with me to Las Vegas and worked for Polygon for two years. And Jake Girl stayed at my place and kind of took care of it for, I had him ride a filly for me, for me you know. But it was a two-year stint, and uh, it, it was funny. That mare was, looking back, probably the best cutter I ever had. Um, but Buster, at, at the pre-work, Buster's like, he, he come up to me and he was always uh, Buster and Greg were always good to me and they'd always visit and Buster he goes I'll tell you what he goes I'll trade you a couple heifers for that filly <laughs> and about the fourth day of the pre-work there he's like I'll tell you what I got about six heifers I'll trade you for that filly <laughs> and I come down the fraternity and I marked like a 219 in the first go and, and ended up making the semis on her and Buster he's like you know what I got I got about eight heifers I'll trade you for that filly <laughs> But he always liked her, and I think Greg Greg was Polygon's trainer, and Greg convinced her you got to buy that mare. So she ended up buying her. But she was a she was a little peppy out of a Docs Remedy mare that was a a full sister to I'm a Smart Remedy's mother, um, and a full sister to Checks Out the Remedy's mother. It was, uh-huh. a, it was a Docs Remedy out of Bueno Checks mare, and and there was a lot of them that we rode uh, that were just good horses. They went back to. Winter checks, Kuiya, and uh, you know, Fresno's missed checks in them. Mm. 
That was a handful of them. Eric Martin, did he go to Vegas? He stayed with Jake, didn't he? No, he went. He went, went to Vegas. Work, he went to Vegas with me. And uh, uh, Eric, Eric was a kid that come in there about I think he was fourteen or whatever. And his his mother uh, was a single parent, had three boys. Eric was the oldest, and he used to come to work for me. Uh, rode his bike after school and come worked. And I think he worked for me for nine and a half years. Um, but a good, good, talented little. Unbelievable. Hand, you know. Yeah, he was very, very talented. talented he was. It was insane. We'd go to them club. Like Rozier, like crazy. We'd, we'd go to them club cuttings, and Jim Putnam had a smart little Lena Marin. He'd show her in a 2000 limit class, and he marked 75 on her every single time. And I guess if, if uh, thinking back who he rode like, he was kind of a leggy, long, lanky, but he reminded me a lot of Tim Smith, the way he rode. Uh, you know, yeah. He just was sat there yeah he just and he made it look pretty you know he did he didn't make it look pretty when he was staying with jake at uh at idaho and i was just thinking that drunk oh, yeah he hit his head on the toilet yeah. or the head on the toilet and split his lip open I'm sure he'll jake love this episode. <laughs> and he goes after and waits the, jake after the just, matchbox 20 concert yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we'd already had all kinds of stuff going on <laughs> Mike Spacito had come apart, lost his insides. Jake made him clean the truck, and they go to sleep. Eric goes in there and says, hey, I need to ride to the hospital. And Jake barely wakes up and says, no, you're fine. Just cut it off because his lip is split and it's hanging down. <laughs> Just snip it off. So Eric, because they were staying in somebody else's house, and he slipped and fell, and there was a towel rack, and he was afraid he would break it. So he didn't <laughs> yeah. grab it and hit the toilet. So then he goes to the hospital by himself, drives himself in there, and the ladies <laughs> won't work on him because they think he's a drunk, which he might have been the only one not drinking, actually. <laughs> they, he, they show, he shows up the next day, and they have sewed him up, and it looks like Donald Duck, that thing is sticking <laughs> yeah. out there so far. Uh, it's he, so he bad. Had a, he had a beak. He, he had, had a beak. beak. <laughs> And every time, you know, you know, Jake girls laugh every time <laughs> that Jake would see him coming from 100 yards away. Jake would just start laughing and Eric put his hand over his mouth and try not to smile because that thing would rip the stitches rip open. <laughs> it got to where when I would see him coming, I would just turn like down an alley. I would turn and go the other way because I could not not laugh. And it was killing him. <laughs> I remember when he was showing in the herd work, you know, and I was, I was in the corner and he'd come across there. <laughs> And he did. He had a beak. It was just sticking out there. It was all swollen. It's like the very next day, I think, he showed the herd. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those deals. <laughs> Can't ever forget. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, me and Mark Madsen were hanging out, and they had that. We had the first pre fraternity in the parking lot behind the <coughs> uh, Save Mart Center in the, in the equine, or the, you know, the cattle barn area there. And, uh, me and Mark are always battling, and he's got that, a really good mare of his, Hermione, and he's out there over-schooling her a little bit. And I got six, and I've got real problems. And he's just trying to make his better. So I come back, and he's in a fight with her, and I get after him, and I'm like, hey, you've been running and stopping her long enough. No, I haven't. I've only, I've only run and stopped her about three times. And Eric Martin's sitting over there stoically, not saying a word. And I'm arguing with Mark over and over. And pretty soon I says, I look over at Eric. I says, Eric, 
Has he only stopped three times and he shook his head? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, those like you those kids, those kids that work for you, you know, they kind of become family in a way. And Eric, I, you know, I felt like I raised him because nine and a half years—that's a long time. Long and he time. was just, you know, he, like I said, his mother was on welfare. They had three boys. They sent him with a church group to Montana. And I think he told me they'd work him like 16 hours a day and it's 20 below, you know, and, and he hated it, you know. But when he got there, I remember uh, John and Loretta Showalter had a little stud, uh, and I want to say, you know, a little buckskin stud. Day one, I put him on that stud and tell him, just go cool him out around the racetrack. Well, here comes that stud running back. One rain's broke. No Eric, you know. And I'm thinking, well, it was first horse, first day first thing you know i don't know that horse spooked or jumped out from under him and and you know come running back to the barn but yeah i was well he turned out incredible newt's not back just his horse is back <laughs> now his wife shows uh dressage horses and they live in gilroy california now and he's doing well he bought a two-year-old here last year at fraternity um or a yearling i should say um but yeah he's he dabbles in the cow horse but uh, i think his wife career he's kind of the barn manager there and if they if, if she has trouble changing leads or something he jumps on them but he doesn't really show in the dressage his wife does and she does pretty well yeah they got two kids got two they kids. were here last year yeah they were here so. he bought a yearling here i he, he actually outbid me on a yearling filly hot liquor it's always outdoing everyone <laughs> The beak, though, will be unforgettable. <laughs> it's no lie. That's the only. That's the only time I've ever been to Idaho. <laughs> you were there that time. Uh-huh. Oh, that Matchbox Twenty deal was bad. Yeah, I didn't go. I think I worked for Carol, and I was I had a hard time getting up in the mornings. And, and the herd petrified me so bad that I was like, "Man, everybody's like, we're going to the Matchbox Twenty. I'm like, night. <laughs> I'm going to this hotel. I'm going to bed." That now, was Michael Lippman, your guy. Yeah. Yeah, Eric, when he come to work, he had about a 10-gallon black hat, and he wore them white slave-set boots, you know, and a snap-button shirt. And you remember Daryl Fry? So, yeah. So Daryl Fry, they, they get him out on the track, and they're going to foot race. And Daryl, you know, if Daryl had the big belly, and he'd comb in his pocket, and he's always combing his hair, kind of like he thought he was Fonzie, you yeah. know? And anyway, they they, go, they say go. They're, they're running about probably 50 yards or so. Go. And Daryl, he beats him off the line, and Eric, he's got them whites on him. Pretty soon, he just blows by him, you know. And uh, but Daryl, it was funny. And Daryl Fry could run. Well, he could run, but he was kind of older his, and out yeah. of shape, you know. But he, yeah. he thought he could outrun him, but he yeah. Eric smoked him. He was a hand. And Wade Rainey started there at your dad's or at, at, your, at, at, your at Dan's, yeah. And he spent he spent a long time there too. I think nine or ten years, you know. When Cinch Jeans first came out, you know, Wade's, he's fashionable. Oh, yeah. And your your brother's not. <laughs> he's not on the cutting edge. So, Wade, <laughs> we're at Idaho at the 30, and uh, Wade's got on a pair of Cinch Jeans, and it's all the new deal, you know. Everybody just had Wranglers then. They have Levi's in. Uh, I said, dang, Dan, uh, looks like Wade had a pretty good night last night. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, 
went home with some girl and left so early he put her pants on and I thought your brother was going to die. <laughs> he repeated that for years. <laughs> I, I remember we were in we were in Stephenville and Wade came out there and the world's greatest going on. I don't think he's entered, but he's there and he's excited. You know, he'd get to the horse show and be all excited. And he ended up uh you know, he's he's standing up on his saddle and looking and I told him you know, he's wearing Wranglers, and I told him, I said, Wade, those Wranglers are screaming at the seams, you know, <laughs> this time. I mean, he was probably a 27 waist. It's time to go to the 29s, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it was funny because the next morning, as soon as they opened, he's up there at the cinch booth, and I think that's when he crossed that's over. That's when he crossed <laughs> over. Yeah. That was it. But it was you funny because I, I said something about it, and Jesse Telford told me, she goes, you know, I noticed that. I seen him at the airport, and I noticed his jeans were fitting a little tight. <laughs> <laughs> He'd been skinny his whole life. Oh, yeah, he still is. He's a crossfitter yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Not to mention pole dancer. That. Need to have Wade on here. You might have been, not been there. We were uh -uh. in Pueblo, Colorado. We had a pole oh, dance competition. Oh, I did hear about that, though. That Wade Rainey was the champion of. Didn't, um, uh, for Pete's sake. And by pole dancing, I mean. Matter. Didn't Wade Matter come untrained there, too? Well, it's possible. Yeah. There's a lot of things happening in Pueblo we don't talk about a lot, yeah. Russell. Somebody's I wasn't there. I heard about busted. it, though. Yeah, it was quite a party. I heard about Pueblo, it. Pueblo, there was more stuff went awry in Pueblo, Colorado. In that one show. One show, I, in, every year. <laughs> every year. I mean, it didn't matter. If there was a show in Pueblo, something was coming. I mean, it was coming off the hinges there. I don't understand why. I think it was it was fun and like the schedule was good. This is why these shows go long. That's the real reason people think that hey, this schedule it's late nights and there's a lot of stuff going on. That's by design. Because you don't want to give us extra time on our hands because idle hands are the devil's workshop. Oh, that Idaho show used to be the one. Yeah. A lot Jeez, of the shows Christmas. used to be the one the Rose Cutlip Memorial there at Ward Ranch. Oh. You know, you'd cut in the morning, cow horse in the afternoon, then they'd have a sale and then have a dance. And you know what I mean? It'd be one of them deals. You'd go get two hours sleep, come back for the cutting the next morning. And, and it used to be more that way. I think a lot of the trainers are a little more serious these days, but it seemed like it used to be. And maybe the schedule was different, but I remember in 82 at the Snaffbit Futurity, you'd go to the, <clears throat> to the, uh, there in Reno, and it was at the convention center, and they had a Mexican restaurant and a bar right there, and every night everybody was at the bar, and they had like, you know, dancing music and stuff, and it was it would happen every night, and same way at Fresno, it was a party every night. Well, in Caldwell, they had Victor's Bar right there in the parking lot. Yeah. It, that was inevitable. One night, one time we were supposed to go there and cut first, and Everyone's there, and the cattle are light, so let's all go to Victor's. Cut tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Let's do that tomorrow. <laughs> they used to cross the cattle from the OK Livestock across the railroad tracks. Yeah, yeah. And one year, they didn't know when the trains were scheduled, and oh. they just barely got them across there. And here comes this train about 40, 50 miles an hour. Coming through there. And we, and we all, the contestants. The contestants crossed the cattle. Crossed them. Yeah, can you imagine that now? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That'd be a problem. Whine about the ground, whine about the cows. <laughs> the ground. Shoot, you didn't have to get them across the railroad tracks for crying out loud. I mean, you just rode in here and worked one. Big old Hereford heifers. They were as big as our horses, and there was no point trying to remember cattle because they were—they all looked exactly like those. Are the best horses. That's why I love going. I go to Douglas up there in the summertime, and it's fantastic because you are either cutting a herd of black cows with no distinguishable marks, or a herd of red cows with no, no marks, distinguishable marks. So it's like just have yeah. a beer and cut. You just look for the ones that aren't breathing hard. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best, though. Gary Ballmer broke his pelvis, and we just pulled him out the back of the arena, and he just sat there. Gary waited. Ballmer of uh, 1984 Snap Fraternity fame. Yep. Good memory. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> We're sitting here with, uh, yeah, nothing like having the uh, resource section hanging in front of you right now. <laughs> hey, Ben, who won the fraternity in 1971? Yeah, you really, don't know. I can't see that. Oh, there you go. Cutter, Ken Sutton. Oh, there you have it. Good job. You That was by memory. You didn't even look. Uh-uh. I could actually see Cutter, and then, so then I knew it was Ken Sutton and Royal Cutter. <laughs> I had a little, a little lead. You being the history that buff that you are. Yeah, I am. It's all about numbers. <laughs> well, everybody knows. I mean, I don't know. I guess since I've been coming to this deal... John Roger's been the best horse trainer in the world. I mean, that's what yeah. every other trainer says. And here we have him sitting. Ice water in his veins was a big deal. Oh. Uh, Lori Ward used to say he's like Bugs Bunny. He's when the when the plane's going down, and it all looks terrible. He just stays perfectly calm, and right before it hits, he just jumps off. And he's standing there in the plane would wreck that's how calm he is all the time it doesn't matter what's going on he just finds a way out of it <laughs> would you do it uh, uh she said that after utah for tur- remember we went to st croix utah for a couple yeah, of years yeah. did you get in a wreck there or something or almost no. or got out of one i had one year i had three fence work wrecks <laughs> and the same show <clears throat> even bugs goes down <laughs> You know, but but so I was a bit of a kamikaze in my younger years. Um, but at the stakes in, it was in Scottsdale, and I had a mare that I'd made the fraternity finals on, and I'm going down the fence, and this this black heifer kind of sticks her nose in the dirt, and her ass stays up, and her head goes down, and she my horse slides into her and tries to jump over, and both hind feet right on her butt, and just looks like your upper front feet, and flopped her over, and I hit the ground, and and I was laying there for a while, and I, I it, it rung my bell a little bit. And uh, it was funny because I heard stories that my my brother was judging, and Frank Craighead was the monitor. And I'm laying there, and Sandy Collier, we, that was, we didn't have an EMT, but Sandy Collier had, had, had you know, had a EMT license or whatever. And so I'm, and she goes, just lay back down. And so I lay back down, and she's she's saying, I think his shoulders may be dislocated, and. I'm thinking, you know, my shoulder feels fine, and it, it knocked the ear out of me, rung my bell. But so Frank Craig had his monitor, and Dan's over there judging, and I'm laying out in the arena, and he goes, uh, you want to go out there and see if he's all right? And Dan says, no, that's all right. He does that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but then then I went to the uh, 
exactly how I remember. The Passerelle was fair, and I had a full brother, and, and that horse, I, I was third at the fraternity on him, and he was in the bridle first year. This guy had bought him, and he just seen him and evaluated him the day before. And the first time ever in the bridle, and I'm going down the fence, and he's a fence horse too, and and they had this uh, green shade cloth on the fence, and the, the cattle could see through and see the cattle over there on, on in the lane. And I'm going down the fence, and I turn this little uh, horn brindle, I remember, and, and turn it, turn it, and I go, I just bust up there, circle, and it ducks right in front of me, and we T-bone it and do an endo, and I just. <clears throat> I hit and the horse rolled over me, didn't really hurt me, but I walked out the back gate and the horse ran out. But everybody at the back fence said, said it looked like it killed me, you know. But then the pre-fraternity there in Fresno the same year, this is kind of more the, you know, the bugs binding with the plane yeah. going down. But I was showing a little mare and she stumbles, trips, and was going down, down, down to her belly, you know. And I stepped over her head and I was running and I was trying not That's to fall. That's the one. That's and the I'm one. And I'm running and then my arms are flailing and I'm trying not to go down. And, John, and I look up and John Ward's after I, I don't go down and I stay on my feet. John Ward's up there and he's sitting on it. He's just clapping. You know, he loves it. That was the one. That's where that thing that came from. I thought Matt Cook was going to do that today. He took a pretty good header today one come that's what i heard ass over tea kettle on him and he was fine he said but uh folded his toes back but man i saw on the phone i wasn't over there watching it wanted him to make your skin crawl like that old horse's butt hit right next to his head on the ground oof Ugh. he was not very bugs bunny looking that when he gets when he got knocked out at scottsdale he had um bergen show that horse no no that was a different one that was, was a different time yeah that was that was a gray starlight mare that um, the time I had Bergen show my horse, I, I've always had some kind of low back problems, you know, and that one year, you know, I remember them three bailed strings, like packing them down the middle of the barn. Well, then, then the next morning I go to get out, stuff out of my suitcase and my back goes out and I had made the finals on, on a heart of a Fox. And, uh, and I tried that day to ride and I couldn't, and, and we had a day, before the finals so it, things weren't getting better and usually if i could go to a chiropractor but it was it was like i couldn't get anybody to work on me and and that's the only time i ever had to have somebody catch ride so todd got on heart of a fox and showed him for me in the finals mm. and it was just you know that show where my back went out how did that end up you know i think he ended up eighth he was actually yeah. leading it after the rain work he marked a 16 in the herd, a 223 in the raining. And for me, back then, I kind of shaped them, you know, with their nose into the cow and the ribs out of the way. But Todd was using his off leg, and that horse was real responsive. And, and I think when he went up there to shape, you know, use his off leg to get him up in there, it just kind of put his ribs into the cow. He went around the corner, and I think he ended up eighth. Is that when he said, Rose, I can't get him to take the left lead and you said well todd he prefers the right <laughs> now he didn't have trouble with the leads on him. we went out there and schooled him somewhere and he got along good in the herd and he said i'm not well he too. killed it in the rain and i i asked him he goes no he feels good in the rain and so he todd did a good job on him he was you know at that time maybe a little more inexperienced down the fence you know because he started out you know good in the raining of course and i think as Time went on, he got really good in the other two events as well. But, yeah, he, he did a good job. Well, those guys came in, him and 
John Slack and yeah, they made a big old splash. Yeah, I, I remember like him showing up uh, in 1998, and I want to say it was Chick Please at the fraternity the year Greg Ward won it, and Greg was kind of not in real good health there, and I, I we were just up in stands and the prelims going on, and and he goes. Greg tells me, he goes, watch this. We're, we're going to get, we're going to get a lesson right here. And Bergen went in there at 227 in the prelims of the rain work, you know? Yeah. And I think he ended up second on him at the fraternity. Mm. And that was on Chick, please? Yeah. Yeah. And then he went and won the rain fraternity that year on him. Yeah. Rightfully so. But, but John Slack and Todd Bergen, those guys, when they showed up, uh, it was, you know, they were just both really talented and, and had kind of more of a reigning background. And, and uh, But, you know, they had, like, I remember Slack having some horses they showed in the bridle and the hackmore and stuff. It was like, holy cow. You'd watch them turn around, and it's like plus two turnarounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do you do that? How do you get yeah. them to do that? It was freaky good. They made the reigning a, uh, a gaining point every single show. Well, then it got themselves. to where, you know, the high score in the herd work would be a 219 and the high score in the rain work would be a 227. And, and I think it kind of changed, they kind of changed the way they judge because they started feeling like that we need to make it a little more even, you know? Yeah. Because you can't have a, you know, nine point lead, you know, the high, raining can't be scored nine points. Well, and, and especially because in the herd work, it was always iffy. Who's going to get the 19? And in the raining, it was not iffy who was yeah. getting the 27. They were doing it. They they changed the whole world. They really did. The sport for us because they came in there in the one event that had no variables yeah. and took a 10-point lead. And, of course, and you know, over. they were People for, had to change. They worked for Bob. But of course, yeah. Bob was always very good in the raining. Yeah. And... Uh, but yeah, they had a big influence in the way things were, and and you know the herd, I think there was a lot of years that cattle weren't that good, like in Fresno, and then we we took it back to Reno, and we just decided that we're going to bring Mexican steers in, and and after that they were they were pretty consistent, pretty good every year, and it, it really changed to where you've seen better scores in the herd work, but in the earlier years some native cattle they weren't that good, um, so the Mexican steers made it a lot better mm-hmm. to cut on. Yeah, and it hasn't been very long ago that if you marked a 216 in the rain and you were on the top end of things. Oh, yeah. And I think I looked at it the other day after our rain work got done this year. And I want to say there was like 120 horses above a 16. Maybe more than that. It was crazy. Like the number, like, used to be we could, if we were doing a little recap show, you could kind of start talking about some of the three-year-olds that marked over a 20. We don't have time for that. No. I mean, you can talk about the three-year-olds that marked over a 22, and, I mean, we could spend a fair bit of time visiting about them. I mean, it was... A long time. Yeah. And go talk about the Hackamore today. Oh, oh man. Nice little soft Hackamore class. Just up front. Hey, man, it's not over. There's three more sets tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Did you show Hackamore horse today, John? No, I didn't have one. Just brought a three-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. What about... Um, the changes you've seen from when you started at Ward Ranch to what you're seeing now? I think the biggest changes I see is in the raining um, because it used to be, you know, it was a standard 
big, fast, small, slow, big, fast, spin two and a half. And then in the middle, you know, out your center stop and you back up, then you had to spin once each way. Mm-hmm. That's what, when I first got involved, that's what they were doing. But there was no hesitations. It was like, get into the stop, start the turn. And, and at the end of the turn, lope out of there and just go fast. But it was different. And then the hesitations came in. I, you know, and I can't tell you. I know in the early 80s when I started, but I'm going to say it was probably the, you know, getting into about, I'd say, 86, 87, it kind of changed a little bit, you know, maybe 88, right in there. It, they changed, and, and they they started, uh, you know, Dick Peeper kind of is the one that, that changed the way they judged uh, the reining, you know. They started kind of doing the circles and the turnarounds and the stops and, and, and kind of each one of them had a box. But before that, the judges just watched the whole run and they, you know, if you, if your horse, for example, blew out of a turnaround or something, it was like, it was, you were done, you know, but then it got to where, well, that's a minus situation, but you're going to plus them here and plus them there. And I recall I recall somebody, John Ward was telling me about the, at the reigning fraternity that he's watching the reigning fraternity one year and this guy that went it is like a turnaround, his horse raises up and blows out of there, but he did enough good stuff that he won, you know, and, but I, I guess it used to be about a little bit more about being smooth and just having a clean run, you know, and instead of individual big time maneuvers. Yeah. It was just about getting through the whole thing clean and good. Uh, that's kind of how they judged it. You know, they, at the end of the run, it'd be, that's a two or that's a one or that's a three, you know, and I don't recall ever seeing many really high scores in the rating, you know, like you didn't see fives a lot or whatever. Uh, but you know, anywhere like a 71 to a 73 was what you were in there, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's changed a lot. I, I look at old videos. It's kind of funny watching the rain work in those old videos. Cause it's like, it was so different, you know, but I've seen, I, I worked for Greg board for six years and I, he took me in the house one time and he showed me the 1981 staff bit heard work on sugar remedy. And when I watched that, and I don't know what year, that was probably still in the late 80s. But when I watched that, I thought that could win today. It could win Fort Worth. It could win anywhere. But he's got his hand down, and it was a three-judge system, and two judges marked him a 78 and one judge a 77 in the herd work. And and it's kind of – I don't know if she was that great in the rain in her down the fence, but it was enough that he won the fraternity. Mm. But just – I've seen old uh, fence work runs. Well, 233 cures a lot of ills. Yeah. But I've seen old, uh, like, fence work runs that were as good as what you see today. And and I've seen herd work runs that were as good as you see today. But I think the rain is what I've seen the most change in. Change in. Yeah. Uh, What about the change, like, when I even when I first came around, and you'd been around a while, uh, you you were cow horsing. But Cotton was really making the living yeah. at Greg's over there. And now, I mean, it is not like that no more. Now you might go cut for fun. You might go rain for fun. But the cow horses, you're all the way in now. So many trainers are. Yeah, if you're not, you're not yeah. beating anybody, really. No. 
You know, Greg was, uh, you know, he was just, that was his, probably his weakness was reigning, but the cutting, I, the six years I worked there, he made the NCHA fraternity finals all six years and, and probably two years prior and two years after. But he was just one of those guys that was a strong force. And, and I, you'd overhear people saying, you know, don't ever count that guy out, you know, uh, because in a big open cutting or whatever, you never did count him out, you know, and, and, but he just spent a lot of time in the herd work, you know, and he was, uh, Greg was kind of interesting because he was self-taught, you know, I think also. And he learned, he learned how to train a horse through a handbook on dressage. And, and he didn't know when he started, he'd work for Harry Rose and Harry could kind of take a horse and intimidate him and get him doing it, go in there and win. But Greg said he went on his own after six months at Harry's and he tried all that and didn't work. And he was lost, so he went into a feed store one day, seen a book on dressage, bought that book, and he said he'd read a chapter, go out and train his horse, read enough. but he learned how to control the parts of the horse, and eventually he put that into the cow horse. And, and I think where, where he was kind of ahead of his time was working a cow because he could control his horses with his feet a lot. And, and I've seen him tie the reins off on three-year-olds and go down there and cut and not, not pick his hand up. But, but, you know, like back in that era, too, after the snaffle bit, there wasn't, they had the maturity for a few years, but they didn't have, you had to go to the, you, you, there was nowhere to go with your horses. There was a lot of fairs in California. You go show a hackamore and a bridle horse. Not a lot of money, but the money was in, in the cut. You could take, you know, I don't know how many snaffle bitters that he turned around and went to the cut maturity. You know, I did that a lot on, for quite a few years. We'd go to... We go to the snaffle bit. We'd have about 30 days to go to uh, the Pacific Coast Cutting Fraternity. I did that on Odomaster. I did it on Heart of a Fox. I did it on quite a few of them. And and then we'd go to club cuttings or just go cut on them. But cutting, when the cutting, the Pacific Coast Cutting Fraternity was in Burbank, it was really big. And, mm-hmm. and it was the largest affiliate the NCHA had. And it seemed like it was the second biggest cutting fraternity at that time. Mm. And then they had a lot of events in up by Clements, you know, and, and there was cuttings all over California. And like I said, it was it was big back in that day. It was the cutting was really mm-hmm. big. So I always when I started out, I was about 50-50 cutters and cow horses. And I think after a while I kinda the cutting kind of faded away and my clients liked going to the snaffle bit better. So we ended up doing more cow horses later on. Mm. Why do you think they like going there better? I think it's just the excitement of the, you know, when you go to a cut and you watch cutting all day, and cutting's fun to watch semis in the finals, but when you watch cutting for four days, you know, it's it's just the the thing where you get to see the rain in the, you know, and the fence work, and I think mostly in the finals where you get to watch the horses go down the fence. I think <coughs> that's the big draw, you know, it always has been. And it always comes down to the fence work. So, you were saying earlier how the fraternity was so big, there was three hundred in it, and then it fell off when the yeah. taxes changed. Right. And then how long did it take it to come back to a reasonable? You know, it wasn't bad in the in eighty two. They uh, they they paid seventy five thousand. Um, there were three hundred entries, and then. They changed the tax structure to where you couldn't write your horse business off 
and it really affected the entries at the cutting and the cow horse. And it was down a few years after that, but I, I want to say, you know, uh, there was a period of time that, you know, my dad always says like an eight year cycle up and down. Uh, but there was a period of time where, where it got pretty small. The, the cow horse got pretty small. I want to say the smallest year might've been, you know, the year in one year in Fresno, I want to say probably 94, maybe, uh, 94 right in there. Um, I think there was only 62 open entries at the fraternity. Mm. That'd be a tough one. In 92? What? Uh, 94, maybe. 92, 94. Huh. What was it like when you went on on your own compared to what it would be like now? And what were some of the struggles of stepping out there on your own? You know, I was very fortunate. Um, the hardest thing was to find a place. Um, but Greg was getting to the point he was maybe slowing down a little bit, and he was showing more of his own. And he was winning on his own, but he wasn't winning as much on client horses as he was his own. And I think that when I first kind of left um, – I had like Clear Lake land and cattle that came with me and uh, Freakins came with me and they were clients of Greg's that had multiple horses. And so the first month I went out on my own, I remember I had 16 horses lined up and, and, and then pretty soon I hired, after the second month I hired somebody to help me, but it just kind of took off. And I think I had already made the finals at the fraternity. And I'd done well, and, and now what they call level one was called the Pro-Am, and I'd done well in the Pro-Am at, at you know, some of these shows. And I, I, I did well on a couple horses, like in the open. That We used to go to Reno, and then we'd go to Idaho, and then we went to Medford, Oregon. And uh, those were the three shows, and then come back and go to the maturity in, in re, back in Reno in probably March. But those were the the four cower shows and really after that like i said there wasn't a whole lot you could do with them mm. so we'd cut on a cut on a lot of them but that's something what do you think about the money that's getting added now to all these bridal classes and like say they can have such a lengthy career yeah in this deal you know i've been on the board for 31 years i think it is now <laughs> And, and so I've seen that change where, you know, I've heard people on the board talk about, you know, we need to do something for the, you know, I've been on the board when the inception of the stakes came in the, and the derby came in and the world's greatest came in and add more money to the bridle horses. And, and so, you know, that was always, you know, I always showed bridle horses in California and, and Hackam horse. And I had the kind of clients that wanted to go show them. And there was a year-end circuit in the California Rain Cow Horse Association. But I, I want to say it was around 91 that they uh, started the California Rain Cow Horse turned into the National Rain Cow Horse Association. And uh, <clears throat> I, I believe that was my first year on the board, and I've been on the board consecutively ever since. But, uh, I mean, the bridle horses, it's awesome and the world's greatest. And some of that, of course, they had the – they had the world's, not the world's greatest, but the all-around stock horse contest, they called it, you know, back in Sacramento and Long Beach and places before my time. Uh, but but I thought it was great when they came back with that. I know that was the first thing that I'd ever seen. I mean, I mean, really and truly, as far as 
I mean, I was in high school and they started, I think it was in 99, was the first time that they called it the world's greatest. Well, and, that, and, and they'd build it up for a year and a half yeah. or something before that. And I mean, it was this huge deal because there weren't cow horse shows back here. I mean, I lived in Nebraska and all I knew about cow horse was ride with Bob Avila in the book. Was that in uh, Amarillo? No, it was in Guthrie. First oh, two that's years. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Lazy. Yeah. Lazy. And this year, the open at the Faturity was 308 head. It just, I, I'm just seeing, you know, back when it was 300 back then, and now it's 300 again. 82. So 82 to 22. So 40 years. 40 yep. years to get back to 300 head. And that, but and that's not counting, you know, some of the other uh, level one, sixty-eight head in there, and this is kind of some early numbers I had. Uh, Non-pro, there's fifty-six. Level one non-pro, there's twelve. So there's you know about seventy there. Those numbers are up because our non-pro has been struggling for a while, and it's starting to become a thing again. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It was big when I first came. The non-pro was pretty big part of what was going on. But it seems to be growing again. The open's growing again. I don't see how they're going to change a tax rule that'll wreck us. So it should. Yeah. Not Touch wood. wood. No, it's, going. it's going great. But, you know, you go back in time. There were some years, like, for example, they talked about that this is the first year that Derby has paid 50000 But in... <laughs> As he pulls out his pocket knife. Two thousand, I won the Derby and it paid fifty thousand. Yeah, I yeah. looked that up too. Yeah, and it was, yeah, it paid a lot. It, yeah. Well, they had the Isola family uh, up there in Medford. They put the money up. They put up a hundred thousand and they paid fifty to the winner at the yeah. Derby. Medford, Oregon. Yeah. I, I went all went the way there. through the dance floor there. <laughs> Yeah, and remember they had the, the party there at their, yes. their place. It was a big time. Uh, it was a big time. Hawaiian feast. So I think Todd to knew rest. better than to take me with him up there. He went to Med Web Medford and Bend both when I worked for him, and I never got to go. That up. was a good idea not to go. <laughs> it was a Hawaiian party, so you're supposed to wear a Hawaiian shirt. And I don't know who got me this silk multi-colored shirt. It looked like something off of uh, John Travolta would wear. And I was staying in a logging motel. You don't have John Travolta hair. I was pretty good then. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it was a while ago. <laughs> and so I'm early. I'm dressed early, and the words are coming down, so I go to the bar to wait on him. It's a logging bar, and I'm in that shirt. <laughs> God, I run this luau for, for loggers. Yeah, that's back when he was sponsored by Oakley. Yeah, it was back then. <laughs> His yellow sunglasses. <laughs> that place was fun. I think they had the whole pig on the. Uh, they did. There. They did. Yeah. It was. It was fun, for a couple years. Maybe we should have a cow horse full contact Hawaiian. Party. They had this pool that you could dive off the rocks. They had a slide to go down in the pool, and then they had. This rock was like a 20-foot drop into the pool. It's <laughs> a yeah, lot of stuff there. Did you jump off the rock, John? I did. Dub we doubled <laughs> up. 
I don't know if I was on top or anyway. There was people getting on your back and jumping in the pool. It was it was, it was pretty wild. Yeah, they had a that was a that was a fun show. It was fun. I think we we're only there about two years. Yeah, two, two years. That was fun. Leslie Days was fun too. Didn't they have monkeys? Yeah, they, they didn't had bring them yeah down they had much. monkeys and uh, uh, snow leopards and. All, All kinds of stuff. Between the snow leopards and monkeys, we might could have found Ben a date. <laughs> hey, were you up there the year they had the big lightning storm? Do you remember that? at the pre? So the pre-fraternity, they used to have one the San Inez group would put on. In San Inez, the next year they'd alternate years, and then Matt yeah. and Leslie Day would put it on at their ranch in Bend, Oregon. But one year in Bend, they had this big lightning storm, and everybody got in that indoor arena because the lightning's hitting out there everywhere. And and I guess they had those those lights that crank up, you know, and Loretta Showalter's out there rinsing one off. <laughs> and it literally, the lightning bolt hit that trailer, come down that light and come out the hitch and blew her out of her shoes. Whoa! And, and she come up there in the indoor and it was like, she looked like she'd seen God, you know. She had this look on her face and it was like, told me the story about the lightning and it's like, holy but it was hitting all over up there it was kind of kind of a lot of bolts hitting <laughs> almost got loretta almost got her <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think we need to take a break <laughs> <laughs> that's where uh, i had to dress up with jim putnam for some reason he always wanted to dress up as a saloon girl what? what? Yeah, so they had some talent show. Okay, so. time out. We gotta take a break. We we'll come back with Jim Putnam dressing like a saloon. Girl. Hey, Who Russell. Who do you suppose those superstars, Clayton Etzel, Justin Wright, Sean Hayes, and the incomparable Ken Wold isn't go that to that to t- get their that feet? Tall guy? The real tall guy with all nine fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they use triple crown feed. That's who they call to get their horses to the top of their game. They are privately owned since 1989, over 30 years, solely focused on horse nutrition. They don't change their labels. Their ingredients are stamped on the bag. They don't buy something cheaper and then just change the label and send it to you. They get the same ingredient no matter what it costs, so your horses aren't flipping back and forth between ingredients from one bag to the other, their feed. Yeah, and they have a new gold line of products that includes the Perform, the Senior, and the Balancer. The Balancer is soy-free for horses with soy sensitivity. And their qualities, their products are based on high-quality fiber, fat, and controlled starch levels. And they even offer some grain-free formulas as well. You can learn more about Triple Crown if you visit their website at triplecrownfeed.com. And check out some coupons they have to uh, see how you can make it even more affordable to try their wonderful feed. Equimix is a blend of ingredients including prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes. Pre and pro? Pre and pro. Not everybody does that. It's got them on both ends. Yep. Going in and coming out. Vitamins and yeast cultures. That keeps those horses straight, keeps their bellies straight because their bellies are where most of their immune system develops and keeps them healthy. Hey, Chris, and don't be afraid to call Ruthie at 
1-800-222-1867. And she will help assist you in deciding what triple crown feed is perfect for you. Yeah, that blues. That's why I broke that finger. Why that one's all crooked. That's the one you showed the world's greatest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a week before that. I was roping at Graham with Zane Bruce. And I loaded him on the trailer, and I reached over there and I, I sent all my help home. And I was like, sure, I can load it. And like that last hole, I had two studs, and I had them in the last two holes, and I got him holding his head, and I reached and I just stick my finger with them D rings on that door. I'm pulling that door to me because if I can get that door pulled around, because it's a double door trailer. I get that door pulled around. About the time I got that door coming, I let this hand slip, and he sniffed that other horse and squealed and kicked and with my fingers in that D-ring, and he kicked that door away from me with my finger locked in it. You're lucky you still have your finger. I thought it was gone. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm glad it's just crooked. But that was, yeah, a week before the world's greatest. That's my bad time of year. I'm trying to lock myself in a padded room the end of January, 1st of February. I always do stupid things. <laughs> Appaloosa's first horse I ever showed. When you got in a fight in L.A.? And he sent it to me. Oh, this, oh, this one is of Virgil's. The, yeah, Virgil Rogers. Yeah. Well, I mean, John, besides being the best horse trainer in the world, has inspired a lot of people and, and, and has instigated a lot of careers. Russell, you being one of them? Yeah. Yeah. He... Uh, I didn't have, I didn't even know what a pattern was. I didn't even know what the fence work consisted of. They, uh, he sent Virgil to me. This is a nice horse, this um, Tough Justice one, good enough for, for Roche, but he sends him over to me and he's broke. He already does everything. Virgil says, hey, we're going to this Appaloosa show down in LA. I'm like, wow, this will be fun. I go down there. I don't know how to do patterns, so I got to go hide in the stall and walk it forever, get it figured out. And I say, Virgil, so how's this cow work thing work? I've never even seen it yet. He says, look, you just go down there, and you got to have a turn to the left and turn to the right. And you want a good turn each way. If you don't have a good one, you just keep doing it until you get one good one each way. That one, that'll count. I tried then, that today, too. And then you, <laughs> <laughs> and then you go circle up. Well... I stayed in there so long looking for my good turn <laughs> that they blew me out. Because <laughs> there used to be a time limit in the Appaloosa deal. That horse, he could stop, though. He huh? could stop. He could stop. I rode a bunch of horses for that guy. That, that, that one really helped me. Yeah. That well, one got me started. Well, I always said that if um, after I left Todd's, if I was going to go back to work for somebody, I'd go to John's. Well, not long after that, I'm at Carroll's, and I'm working with Jamie Beamer, and he, I told him that. I was like, man, I don't know. If something goes south here, I might see if Rose is hiring. He's like, <laughs> He's like, you and John Rozier in the same place? He's like, that's going to be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, Jamie Jamie worked for me, but he had, a, he had a horse. We were getting ready for the fraternity, and he broke his hand somehow on the back fence cutting. <laughs> and so he got he brought me a note from the doctor and said he probably shouldn't be riding so i told him that, you know i had to lay him off and and he kind of got upset about it and that's when he he went to virgil's place and started riding some some of those horses for or he trained out of virgil's place there but yeah jamie was there um 
met his wife there, didn't he? Yeah, his wife worked for me, actually, uh, and, and huh. she'd worked for me for a year or so. And about day two, they were kind of hooked up and dating, and, and they've been together ever since. Mm. Yeah. What's the odds of two Hawaiians finding themselves at uh, finding each other at Rosier Training Stable? They sure did. But Tina Fry. Yeah, Tina. You need to take it. No. <clears throat> um. <laughs> 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 yeah, Tina. Tina worked there, and and she, I think, shortly after she and Tucker got together. Um, yeah, I've had you're a, like I've, a matchmaking. I've setup. had a lot of them work there, though. I, I mean, through the years, you think about all the people that work there, and and there, and a lot of great people that, that have worked for me. Been very fortunate to find good help, you know. Uh, but but there's, it just seems like when you think back, there's there's people you forget about, and and then you know somebody brings it to your attention. You're like, oh yeah, he did work for me. But yeah. It's it's been a lot of them, and you know a lot of young apprentices. I. I worked for my dad for a couple of years. I worked for Benny for a year. I worked for Greg for about six. So I had like eight or nine years of apprenticeship. Um, and I guess I was never in a hurry to, to crack out and be on my own. I think a lot of people don't have the patience that it takes to try to learn not only how to train one, um, you know, and, or how to show one, but also learn more about the business and the people involved in horse industry you know but but i was i guess i was always patient and i was a, you know i was the third out of four boys but i just followed around did what my brothers did and i i just never was the leader you know so i just was always content kind of following i guess and uh but you know i was uh i was also greg ward it drove him nuts because john would come to him and ask him like 500 questions one day you know well how do you get it how do you get him to crawl on his belly how do you get him to jump to his ass and how do you get this and how do you get that and and one day greg told me he goes how come you never ask me questions and i said i don't know i just watch and and try to pick things up watching and then if i'm confused I'll, i ask questions but but i just was always observant and uh and kind of picked a lot up by watching things i, I remember watching the timing uh of like less vote showing a bridle horse and what he did like with his hands you know and that stop and he'd go down there he'd, he'd pick his hand up in the run and then he would like he'd kind of almost like open his hand and pick back up and give him that signal and they'd start in that stop and then he'd release him again and i just thought it was really cool because he wasn't pulling him in the ground he was just he was giving him a signal and horses knew where he was at and they knew what that signal meant and then he gave him the freedom to stop and didn't throw him off balance, you know. But I just always watched and picked up on things like that. And, and like Greg's style, a lot of people would come to me and say, what's he doing there and what's he doing there? And I understood what he was doing. It might have been hard for me to explain it. Um, but, but I think that I, I picked up what he was doing and by, by watching. And I could mimic Greg very well at one point you know i felt like i ride a lot like him but and his style was totally different because a lot of people you know he was i think back in that era you know things were a lot of people kind of rode the same maybe but greg's deal was totally different you know and and a lot of people were like well what's he doing there and what's he doing you know but it was it was uh he was doing things um 
kind of before his time, I guess, you know, things that a lot of people incorporate into their, what they're doing with their horses today, you know, but he really was before his time. Uh, the video of uh, Master Remedy cutting yeah. on his training video was, it's just insane. The you horse know, it, is just leaning to hold that cow still. Yeah. He'd just lock and wait and wait and wait and then go. And, and he was so athletic, you know. And he was, uh, you know, like Odo Master, you know, was kind of high-headed in the rain work. But Master Remedy, if he had to run across there, he would elevate and raise his head up. And he could run and drag his back. Way up. Then when he locked into a cow, he'd put his nose down in the dirt. and that He was, couldn't get his head any higher or any lower. Uh-uh. But that horse sometimes no I've seen him. I've seen him where his cinch is like six inches off the ground. You know, I mean, he just crouched down all four legs, front feet out in front of him, and just crouch and lock the ground and shake and roll and go. You know, but I think Master Remedy. You know, they won in the cutting. They won over three hundred thousand dollars on him, and that's in the old days when it's hard to win that much. But he won a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Just like you, over a million and a half, huh? Somewhere up there, I don't know. I, I don't know if all my money's counted because the 91, I think, uh, Equistat goes back to... Did you show under an alias for a while? 90, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm John P. Rozier. I'm John <laughs> Rozier, and I'm John with J-O-H-N Rozier. So even in my cut, and when you look up records, you know, sometimes you got to look at all of them because... My last name has been spelled a lot of different ways as well. You know, mm. or it, I've never really researched that, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to really know. I, I, one of these days I'll take the time and do that. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> so full of it. <laughs> I'll get Tanya to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that. <laughs> that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, regardless, I mean, son of a gun. Like I say, when I was coming up, I mean, every the guys that I looked up to, I was like, the common thread was Roche because they all had worked there. I mean, it was Jake and Wade. I mean, those were the guys that were really, you know, coming to the top like when i worked for todd and so i mean it was just I, it was just like man if you want to you had them guys that worked for avila that had really come on and then like it seemed like that next wave of guys were guys that had worked for roche is what i noticed about it anyway what about the business side of it rose how'd you deal with all that when you went out on your own because you weren't really that kind of a person you just kind of right. waiting and doing your training and going along yeah i mean i the business side of it i mean that was probably before cell phones but i remember handwriting ledgers with a carbon copy on the back and you put them in the mailbox and if they paid you that you know if they didn't you'd make a phone call but i i mean i ran my own business and then uh after probably 10 years i had a I mean, I had a gal do the billing for me, and I had a mm. kind of a secretary after that that did did my book work and my billing for me, you know, but for a lot of years. You you leased at Putnam's, or I, you rode I, for your rent? No, I leased at Putnam's. Um, you leased, and and I leased uh, his facility. I leased a house from him, 
And, and down the road, when I got into about 1997, I remember I was paying him quite a bit. And I thought to myself, I could probably go out and buy a property and make a ranch payment with what I was paying him. So that's what I did. And I went to Lemoore and I found a, about a hundred acre. It was an ex thoroughbred ranch that had had three houses on it. It had, you know, a, only a six stall barn, but it was all fence, cross fence, had traps in every pasture. Uh, and it was a great facility, but we put in the arenas and, and we put in a barn and, and I was there for 17 years, but I, I enjoyed that place a lot. It was That was a neat place. I went there one yeah. time. That was a cool place. And then you were able to sell it to get the place you got now. Yeah, and, and Tanya and I, when we got together, <clears throat> um, you know, she had two little girls at the time, and her her youngest daughter was, wasn't even a year old when we met, and she's 15 now, so I guess uh, yeah, 14 years. But, but so, you know, she couldn't bring those girls to California because her dad lived in Idaho. So, so we decided we we're going to sell that ranch, and... and uh, and we announced it kind of early um, that I was moving, uh, but it took a few years to get it sold and then finally moved back to Idaho and glad to be back there. You yeah, know, we found a, a nice facility there in Idaho, and that's where I've been for <clears throat> six years now. And so you went there and kind of had to rebuild a place. Yeah, there was an indoor arena there. That's pretty much always there, but we, we went and refenced the whole place and, and put in a feedlot and... Uh, you know, put put in an outdoor arena and and built a home on it, and and it had a you know another double wide trailer on it. So you know, it's been it it's set up now. It took a few years of time and money to get it set up, but it's been a it's it's a nice spot. Um, town's kind of grown around us. It was you know one of those uh, I've been fortunate uh, you know with the properties that I've bought to make some money on them and I think this one as well you know I'm not gonna go rebuild right now at this point in my life but I I'm not done either I feel like I've got a few years left in me to go show I, I really enjoy it and I enjoy the people in the cow horse community and and they're just kind of like family you know you get around them and they're they're the people I want to be around you know and uh, so I I kind of want to keep showing you know uh, I it's hard to you know bring a big string of horses but but you know i still show in the northwest quite a bit they've got a like what they call an intermountain region we go to utah montana uh winnemucca nevada um you know and quite a few in idaho there um and magic valley so your lifestyle changed when you moved up there you slowed down a little bit and you didn't have as many horses now you're building it back up what are your thoughts on the change from when you're young, you know, and you're riding all the horses you can and trying to win every major event and the way you are now? Well, I mean, I <clears throat> I think when I left California, I had a lot of clients that just, they looked at Idaho like you're going to be living in the snowbank up there. And, and it's uh, it was too far for them to travel. So a lot of people, before I ever left, you know, they were like, well, we're going to we're gonna take our horse to Tucker because... You know, he'll be showing it when, you know, you might ride it when it's two, but he'll be showing it when it's three, you know. So so I lost some clients there, so I had to kind of regroup when I got to Idaho. And it's it's taken a few years, but it's good. I've got some non-pros. I've, I've got a, you know, a barn full now and, and kind of getting back into some better fiturity and derby horses and, and two-year-olds. But we've got, 
we've got a barn full now and it's it took a few years to rebuild it but it's been good was it kind of good for the little break you know i don't you know get off the road or not yeah i wasn't traveling as much um you know part of the time was spent just kind of rebuilding that place it didn't not like i did a lot of the work myself but there's just things that you got to try to take care of and build and we we went in there and we put like galvanized panels all around uh, it's only a, a smaller property but we we fenced it right to where if i do sell that ground uh you know i can just take everything with me you know? yeah but uh you know it's uh i bought it it's pretty close down like the city limits actually goes all the way around me and i have uh i have some commercial property there um and then i have like only there's only eight acres that is in the in the county and that's where i run that's my residence and and my business is run out of that and and then the other 10 acres we've got there is, is commercial property but it was um it's just that where I live in near Boise, Idaho and Ada County, it's the fastest growing county for about the last six years in the United States. And, and there's a lot of people moving in there from mm. California and all over. And <clears throat> yeah, so it's, it's uh, getting populated there. There's probably, I, I counted, there's 13 cow horse trainers in the Treasure Valley. So there's quite a few of them there. Wow. And, and it's a big affiliate, Idaho is, but it's a, the shows are, have grown there a lot, and, and there's a lot of participation, a lot of non-pros, a lot of new people getting into it. So there's a lot of growth in the Northwest for sure. Uh, Sounds uh, like a good place to have a summer horse show. Yeah. It's maybe. Uh, yeah, I was thinking instead of a eastern-western derby, mm-hmm. we ought to have a northern-southern uh, derby. Yeah, hey, I'd get down with that. <laughs> I'd way rather go to Nampa, Idaho in July. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you there. I, I will say, I never did understand quite, though. I mean, I was all about going to Nampa, but the Nampa in March, I wasn't sure about the timing of that. And I mean, I, the, you know, you were on drive. the board for all yeah, that. Yeah. But, like, it seemed like that derby would have been a good place to put that. I want to say it was 2007, 8, 9 or something. They had the stakes in Nampa there. And, yeah. and I think a lot of the people that lived in Oklahoma, Texas that drive out there, they run into some, encountered some bad weather, you know. Uh, but but March isn't a good time to be driving across country. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I've got stuck in blizzards in Flagstaff going to Vegas in March, too, so. Damn sure. Yeah. One time uh, we showed it at Caldwell, and then they were having a show in Benbrook, Texas. So we slowed up and figured we'd drive over there to that one. <laughs> Holy Just mackerel. down the road. <laughs> it was forever. I've been snowed in on the 40 there. like three or four times, but we just come back to the cut and fraternity and, you know, between the cut and fraternity and, and, and of course, living in California, you could always take that southern route, take the 10 and, and you're out of it. But that 40, I tell you, I've been stranded on that thing in snowstorms before. You think you go back to the cut and fraternity again, or are you staying with the mostly the cow horse? Or you know, it's just uh, you kind of got to stay current and present, you know. But like in Idaho, the the they have a pretty good cut and uh, fraternity there, and and it's a pretty big show. But the club cuttings up there, it's it's not very strong. Uh, but the cow horse is really strong there. But I, I love the cutting. You know, I've come to the maturity here in Fort Worth quite a few years through the years and super stakes. And I never did go to the Derby, but, you know, I, I used to 
about 50 50 you know between cutters and cow mm -hmm. horses and, and i always enjoyed the cutting you think you'd go again if you got the right horse i i would like to i had a guy looking at horse earlier this year and, and asked me uh if I'd show her back there, if he bought her, and I said, yeah, I'd show her. But, uh, you know, I, I, that was before I ever looked at the horse, so it's hard to say. You know, if I had the right horse, it'd be fun. It, uh -huh. I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's kind of like coming back here with one horse or whatever, though. It's uh, got to have some patience, you know, to do that. Kind of yeah. hard to do. Yeah. Well, you've got that. What, what's your week look like here? So you're back here with one fraternity horse? I've got my son Clay back here, and and then he's got a non-pro, and then we brought another horse with us. So we're just, we've got a house rented there, and we're just kind of hanging out, having fun, watching show, you know. But uh, it's funny how you got one horse, but it, it, between waiting on them guys and stuff, it it takes you all day, you know. To get one over. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and then getting kidnapped into interviews. Yeah. And, 10 o'clock at night in the Will Rogers. <laughs> yeah. It's a after-hour session in the cow box. <laughs> you imagine when you were young, showing down there in that arena, someday you'd be sitting up here doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've sat here and watched cows quite a few times. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah it's funny because coming back here for the fraternity, I remember John Ward, he never was one to – I mean, Greg, make the finals, show in the finals, and John Ward and I left at 11 o'clock one night, headed to California. Greg's flying, we're driving, and it's like straight through, and he drives for about 30 minutes. He goes, man, you want to drive for a while? I drive for an hour, and then pretty soon I'm like, I can't do this any longer. And then John Ward drives for an hour, and then next thing I know, I wake up, and I look over there, and he's got truck aisle, and he's pulled over, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we used to do the straight through shot and and it was it was hard on the people and then you pull into you know that was during the fraternity in november and you'd pull into or december first of december and you pull into california and hit the fog you know and that's the worst is when mm. you've been driving all that way and you're tired and you hit that fog trying to drive that fog and stay yeah your eyes. eyes are going all it's over. only it's only a two-hour drive but that fog was always it'd be terrible when you're tired yeah yeah, you listen to some rock and roll. John Ward got me hooked on Alice Cooper. Alice in Chains, Living Dead Girl. We oh. played that <laughs> CD over and over and over. I, the first time he played, I said, this is terrible. By the way home, I could sing it all. <laughs> I just remember him playing Garth Brooks a lot, and I don't know what year it was, but we, uh, you know him and I have spent a lot of time together driving back and forth to Texas. And, and to me, it was always a long drive. And to him, it was like, he always said, that's just like going to the grocery store, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it never phased him, but he'd eat sunflower seeds all the way. And, you know, and the big good. cherry, he oh, loved yeah. the big cherry. Like he took, he took master <laughs> remedy, the big giant pink wrapped oh, chocolate yeah, yeah. covered cherry. Right. Like he went to uh, Augusta, Georgia, from California one year and showed Master Amity at the. Yeah, I don't know if it was if it was just a, at Augusta or the Gold and Silver Stakes or one of those big cuttings, but he took him back there and. Uh, and when you get to Fort Worth, you're halfway there. Yeah, you know, Fort Worth is like 27 hours. That's what he said. Said he was <laughs> I broke down with him. We broke down one time with a trailer load of horses and lost both tires on one side, and had no jack. And we couldn't get that damn thing up, and the, the road bank just fell off. So we were we took a hay bale and we took the flakes and flaked it, 
and tried to drag the rims up on the flakes <laughs> <laughs> and just kept getting them up and then got him like just easy got up there enough that we could take and dig out under the one and get one tire on because we only had one spare anyways and then limped into this you know about daylight we limped into some little place trying to get a uh, get some help a service station <laughs> and john's gotta go to the bathroom so bad <laughs> and we're there 30 minutes early and the guy won't open up <laughs> <laughs> We, we come back one year, and uh, we lost a spindle on the trailer. And so what we decided, we, we wired, we took some wire and wired that, that rocker arm up. Yeah. So that tire was not touching. So we're on three tires in a, like a five or six horse trailer. And that was a Friday afternoon. And I think we couldn't get the trailer until Monday to get it looked at because everything closed on the weekend. And we went to Tom Lyons. We drove probably 800 miles with three tires, you know, and nothing bad happened. But, you know, we've been in those situations before, too, where you broke down and had a few rigs break down with us. But we, we made a lot of trips together back and forth, <clears throat> him yeah. and I. We were kind of like, we like brothers, John and I. We uh, spent a lot of time together, you know, between working at the ranch. And we were... You know, we were kind of like brothers, and maybe at first we didn't really see things eye to eye, you know, but we we kind of got along a lot better, you know, Yeah. later in life, but like brothers. still good friends, yeah. We, like exactly. your brothers. Yeah. <laughs> we should have got John in here on this, too. Maybe I know. we'll have to do a little Yeah, I'm sure duet. he's got a few stories, too, but he's, yeah. Uh, we missed last year. We missed getting John and Teddy together last year. Yeah. Ben couldn't do it or something. I don't know. <laughs> they sure pick on you a lot on this, Ben, don't they? They do. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're moving on up. You're not working at Chick-fil-A anymore. Yeah, thankfully that's not happening. <laughs> I kind of miss it. I do. You should like bring you chicken nuggets. No, it just looked like Jake from State Farm. Yeah. <laughs> I ate good there one night. <coughs> I thought, you know what? I'm going to see. I'm going to stop and see Ben. It was kind of late. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to stop and see Ben on the way home. I know he's there at Chick-fil-A, and I'm kind of hungry anyways. And I pull in there, and I kind of have a little help parking. And two busloads of soccer kids beat me. <laughs> they were everywhere and they all had a different order and they all needed something special and Ben came out and took care of me but he really couldn't like you, you think hey is Ben back there and they're like yeah he's busy because he just got a hundred orders I <laughs> <laughs> was probably covered in white powder yeah he was <laughs> covered in white powder looks like a little coke fiend <laughs> to drug testing before he gets his pilot's license. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so we need some we need some Sarah stories, I think. Oh yeah. There's another one that worked for you. Sarah, that yeah. Went I, on to make bad you know, I, I gotta say though, Sarah, I love Sarah and and she was just good from day one and just a great work ethic and, and good gal, but she had a she had a couple of blonde moments though, if you want to hear the Sarah stories. <laughs> One yep, time, uh, we do. 
So Richard and Cheryl roll into town. Richard come out and bring his trailer and hang out there and ride and stuff. But one time Richard and Cheryl are there. <coughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, they, they went into town to McDonald's. And I think Clay and I were driving into town, too. So the McDonald's drive-through has a, you know, you go up there and you kind of roll around the building to the left, you know. But off to the right, there's a Taco Bell there. But there's about a, there's a wall there that's got to be three foot high or whatever. And anyway, they drive through the drive-through, and when we drive by, there's like cop lights going, and we look over there, and Sarah's got her truck, and it's high-centered <laughs> between McDonald's and the Taco Bell off that ledge, you know, and she's high-centered. They got to get a wrecker truck in there to tow her out of there. <laughs> but no, Sarah is, is I, you know, Sarah's just a great individual, and and I. I was glad to get her and, and just was one of those employees that you kind of really respected and, and, and she was great to have working there, you know. Well, that's only one. The other one was we were, <laughs> we were going to Idaho that year. They had the stakes up there and we get to like, oh, out there by uh, Fallon, I guess there's a truck stop, you know. And we get out of the truck, and I start the gas, you know, and or fuel in my truck or whatever, and, and uh, go into the restroom, come back out, and truck's locked, you know. And I said, I go, you got the keys? And she's like, no. I said, did you lock it? She said, yeah. The truck, she'd locked the truck, and the keys are in it. Was it running? <laughs> no, it wasn't oh, running. But at least it wasn't burning fuel. We, we got to have burger or whatever there because there, there was an Arby's or whatever, but... You know, it, it like we called it Sparks for a um, locksmith, you know, and it took him three hours to get out there. So <laughs> we were delayed for a while. She had a little guilt for a while, and then we, she got over it, though. <laughs> that must be where Hadley gets it. Hadley keeps locking herself into places. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my 80% goodness. 80% the mirror. <laughs> Thankfully. Mm. Well, and, and since she's not here to defend herself, i got to tell the story that she tells on you all the time all right so she says they're uh, going somewhere and they're loading up to go home and there's a cooler in the back of the pickup and she says john think we ought to put something in this cooler so it don't blow out of the truck he says yeah that's a that'd be a good idea so he says he she says he digs around the back of this truck in the back seat of this truck and he comes up with a screwdriver <laughs> he takes a, a single screwdriver Opens the cooler, puts this single <laughs> screwdriver into this 20-quart cooler, and shuts the lenses there. We should be good now. <laughs> and drove home. Did it blow out? She said the cooler was there when they got home. Well, so the screwdriver worked. <laughs> Ingenuity. <laughs> no, so, so it's funny, too, that Sarah lived there in a house and uh it, w one winter it got a little you know in california it can get foggy and kind of cold and everything so my pg and e bill goes up like a thousand dollars and i'm wondering so so i ask her i go what are you doing to heat that house because it had a i think it had a fireplace but we didn't use the fireplace but i'm like what are you doing she said well i'm using this heater and it was like one of those big this heater's like six foot long and four foot tall and it looks like a like a heater in an old building, you know? And she said that her mom and dad got it on their anniversary. 
She plugged that thing in in the living room, and then she had one in the bathroom, one in her bedroom, but it literally, like, peak hours or whatever. <laughs> and I, I told her, hey, we need to get an updated heater because that thing's, like, running me about a 1000 a month to heat your house. <laughs> but she had this little dog. It was like a miniature, uh, I don't know, like a lassie dog or whatever, and I just remember that thing yeah. would run laps around that arena when she first Shelty. got it. Shelty. And it would just run laps and just, I mean, the outside of the arena had a path, and that thing, it, it would like, she'd be out there loping around, and that thing would run wide open and run like 10 laps around the arena nonstop, you know, and then she'd lope the other way, and then the dog would lope, never come inside the arena, but it'd lope outside the arena. And it was a big outdoor arena, but that dog would just run laps around. Short-legged, there. too. That yeah. was Steffi. Well, Steffi, we still have Steffi's collar in the wash rack at the barn. <laughs> That's that, uh, probably more my sentimentality than hers. Yeah, yeah. Steffi, when Steffi passed, Sarah was very upset for about a half an hour. Think we can get a new puppy? I think Roger was real upset. I too. don't. I don't remember her name, but I just remember her dog. Yeah, that was her. <clears throat> kind of looked like Lassie though, but yep. Minnie. <laughs> So that's all you got? That's about it. She, other than that, she was the perfect child, you know. She didn't like to be teased because we went to Salinas to show one time, and I think she's entered in the Hackmer class, and they, they announced her name as Sarah Walters. So I would call her Walters, and she'd get kind of a little bent about me calling her Sarah <laughs> Walters. Walter it is. <laughs> that's what i was thinking <laughs> we'll have to let darren in on this yeah <laughs> we're gonna we'll remember sir walters <laughs> oh my goodness when did gina fry work for you before oh yeah way before huh yeah <laughs> i think so she had worked for sandy and actually sarah had worked for sandy Yep. And and Tina had worked for Sandy, and then I think she uh, she'd worked for some Rainer uh, prior to Troy that. hikes. Yeah. Troy hikes, yeah. That's and right. then she worked for Sandy, and then she came to work for me. But she was there for uh, I I don't know. I think it was before Sarah. But <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. Because I remember her and Leanne. Yeah, that's right. Her Leanne. and Leanne were a force. They were. They, they were, were a force buddies. to be reckoned with. Yeah way back those two you could go to a minute mart at 1 30 in the morning and they could get someone to ask for their phone number and i bet them on it and they won do you remember uh <coughs> crystal and jessica becerra that worked? yes so they lived in the main house i actually lived in town and Sarah lived in another house, and then my stall cleaner lived in the other house. And but but Crystal and Jessica were were a little bit wild, and they had some parties out there. And I think Sarah, you know, she kind of she was friends with them, but you know what I mean. I think their parties got a little bit wild. Maybe they, not saying they tried to corrupt her, but she she would go and hang out with them sometimes, but. Uh, I always never knew what happened because I wasn't there usually if the party was going on. But I think she, she was just like the perfect child, though, Sarah. That's so she disappointing really to hear. 
Probably thought we'd get some dirt here. That's about all I got. You'd be the only one that knows anything on her, really. I know. No, she... I got nowhere else to go. No, I can't say much bad about Sarah. She's She was a, one of those gifted, special kids that worked for me that, that uh, you know, I remember Richard coming to me and said, you know, they wanted to do this. And he was... He was really making sure that it was going to be, you know, a good fit, and she had a place to live and all that. And, but it was it was all good. And then, you know, I enjoyed when Richard come down. He'd come down there and ride some and, you know, just come. And he was doing clinics at the time, so he'd bring his living quarters down. Him and Cheryl come park on the lawn and hang out and stay. But I always enjoyed uh, Richard, Cheryl, and, you know, it was always fun having him down there. How long, when did you go on your own? How long have you been on your own? I don't know. I went on my own in 19, uh, get this right, in 1989. I cracked out. Damn. Yeah. 24 years, 23 years. That's 30 years. Oh, you're off geez, a, a 30. Yeah. Damn, you're old. Yeah, I, I think. How old uh, are you? Sixty-three. Oh, he's kind of like Jeff Metters. Like there was me. never a bad time. He just cracked on his own and won the fraternity there the next was. year. He just didn't bother him. <laughs> he had to have some somewhere. No, I, I just, yeah. I mean, I did spend a lot of time apprenticing, and I, my apprentice years, I enjoyed. Life was pretty simple, you know. Then, and I got to show horses and all that, but I just. At a certain point, I just felt like it was time. You know, Greg was kind of slowing down. And, and like I said, he, you know, when, when those clients of Greg sent me the horses, I went to Greg and told them that they wanted to, like, Clear Lake and the Freakins wanted to send me horses. And Greg, his response to that was, I appreciate you letting me know. Thank you. You know? And, uh, you know, it was, it was funny because he was kind of at that age. He was my age then and he was kind of slowing down a little bit and the other thing was tom marvel lived in visalia just down the road and he was slowing down as well in the cutting and so he sent me some horses in the the cutting so i just it was the timing was right and that facility that i was at at putnam's it had an indoor arena it had a racetrack it had a swimming pool and it was a arab show barn you know you you've been to that place yeah it was a yeah, it was a good place good. to start at, you know. It was a good place. Well, you bring that up that you did an eight-year apprenticeship, basically, between the multiple places. You see these kids now and think they're going to, you know, whatever, they go through some college course, and they get a job, and they think they're going to work somewhere for a year or two, and are disappointed when they're not out showing right off the bat, you know. And, I mean, you see a ton of these kids do that. They'll come and work somewhere for a couple of years and then get frustrated that it's not coming on. It's like, well, I mean, what do you want? I mean, it doesn't just, you don't just blink your eyes and get good. Right. right. I think a little bit of the difference is, though, that in Rozier's era and even in mine, <coughs> there weren't as many. Now they're seeing all the very big, successful trainers and thinking, hey, that's what I want to do. When we started, we were just riding. Better <laughs> a real job. To, uh, yeah, I was training until he sent me 
that I had been training for quite a while when he sent me that Appaloosa, but I'm doing 30, 60 days, 90 days. I mean, that wasn't aspiring to have a, a silver trailer and a, you know, 38 stall barn. I was just, I was just riding. It wasn't, it wasn't this, Yeah. it wasn't such a, a goal. It just, just wound up there kind of, you were just riding. It, now it was I just, don't know. I mean, it was, the timing was right, I guess, but I, I just, the horses I got in, like, the first year, I got two-year-olds in, and I, like, some of them I had for three, four years. I never had very many 30-day, 90-day horses ever in my career. Once you always, started. Yeah, when I started. But, I mean, when you first went to apprenticing, you weren't like, hey, I want a barn for a year. Right. You were just... But I, I remember at Ward Ranch, I, I worked for Greg, and the first day or two, Greg says, you know, this ain't just a riding job. And he said that, you know, we might have to fix fence or fix the water or clean some stalls or do whatever. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And But I think I saddled for Greg for about two weeks, and he told me, just watch that boy out there. And it was a kid riding two-year-olds, you know. And then he put me on one of them. And about a week later, he had that kid loping and saddling all the two-year-olds. <laughs> and, and it was kind of funny because that first year, uh, I remember I had, he had like, there was 30-plus two-year-olds, and they had two kids that saddled. And I, I had them trot two laps around the racetrack, bring them to me in the infield, and I'd, I'd work cow on them. And there's 30 head, uh, over 30, right at 30 somewhere in there that I was riding. And, and I think that thinking back on my whole career i probably learned more right then for the first two years than i ever learned that learning curve was so high right there because i was getting to watch greg a lot and and in the mornings early he might work like some of his better cutters you know in that same pen and then he had he had a 120 foot round pen then he had a 200 foot round pen and a lot of times after he worked them he'd kick him into that other pen we'd work him around a lot but I don't know. It was just uh, like we didn't work the flag much. We just worked live cattle a lot. We didn't work on range work a lot. We just worked a cow on them is what we did. And uh, that's what Greg liked. And, and, you know, prior to me starting his colts, they used to take those two-year-olds and just kind of track a cow and track a cow a lot. But I just started out working a cow and cutting more than than following and tracking and, and uh but I wanted to have a little handle on them to where I could roll them back or, you know, make them stop and turn. Um, and it was just kind of how they did things there. Everything was based on a cow, you know, instead of like for snaffle bitters. And, and Greg, I think his, you know, thinking through the years, a lot of times he'd cut, 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 go down a fence, and then it'd be like 30 days for dirty, and he'd go out there and, you know go stop them or whatever you know what i mean that yeah. just was how he he rolled back then and uh you know and and never you know early on was never real competitive in the raining but he did so well in the herd and the and down the fence you know that he kind of still was a top trainer you might say yeah but i think the raining was so different then because a lot of the stuff he was doing on the cow you could relate it because you know you get stopped and then start that turn and then roll out of there and it was kind of like working a cow a little bit you know and a, a lot of he had so much body control when he did go to doing the rain and it wasn't yeah. like taking a straight cutter and doing it yeah they never threw their heads up and they never were stiff you know the thing about greg's horses he 
you know, uh, I remember one time they sold this uh, this colt that I'd started, and Greg had put him in the bridle, and his the horse name was Roni Lou Pony. <laughs> <laughs> and and he was a good bridle horse, and, and they sold him back in the day for a lot of money. And Ron Rawls got him, <clears throat> and Ron had him, and he showed him once or twice. And about the third time he showed him, he goes, Greg, he goes, I don't know what's going on, but this horse ain't stopping. He goes, let, let me watch you. So he goes down there and stops him a few times, and and he goes over to Greg, and he goes, what do you think? And he goes, well, he goes, I think you're pulling on him too much. He said, let me get on him, and he goes down there, and he just kind of, Greg had a lot of body English, I guess you'd call it, whatever, but he didn't he didn't really pull on him, you know. It was just more seat and feet and signal, you know. Uh, but anyway, and, and sure enough, he kind of got to where he wasn't pulling on him, and the horse wasn't looking for that pull, and, and, and he went back to stop and, and did, you know, Ron Rawls did well on him after that. Mm. But it was just, <clears throat> that's where... You know, I kind of learned that from Greg, is, and, and I don't think that I pull a lot on my horses, but I, I think that I, I kind of, you know, that was always Greg's deal. He'd always tell people that yeah, you're pulling on them too much. You know? Takes two to pull. Yeah. And, I mean, you spent a lot of time around Greg. And, uh, you know, I mean, you and I both, we probably turn more steers for Greg Ward than maybe anybody <laughs> because he'd call me, like, Sunday morning, about nine o'clock, he called me and he go, "What are you doing today?" And I said, "Well, I'm just kind of taking the day off, you know." <laughs> he goes, "Why don't you come down here and turn some steers for me?" And I'd be like, "Well, I got I kind of got to mow the yard. I got to do some stuff around here." And he's like, "Oh, it won't take that long." So <laughs> he'd talk you into it, and you'd be over there roping with him, you know, all all day. And, and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like for an hour or so. <laughs> no. Like you want to run him back through again? Yeah, he had old peanuts, that yeah. paint horse. He was determined to make that horse make it. We headed, we healed, calf roped. Then he couldn't get off, so he'd make me and Joe. He'd have, he would calf rope, but he'd run the calf out and rope it, and one of us would stand down halfway down the arena and run out, fling it, and tie it. <laughs> He's always trying to get him to work a rope, and he was so miserable. So Joe is in the, out, in the return alley, and he's going to get him to work a rope. So he's got him tied to a log, and uh, Peanut turns around in the alley, <laughs> ignores the neck rope, and runs off with that log, <laughs> bouncing all the way and down Joe. the alley. Makes <laughs> Joe had to get out of there. <laughs> Made the corner through the uh, arena, out the gate, down through the barns, <laughs> with all the poles. Ours <laughs> was the best. Broke Shorty's arm at my uncle's. Oh, really? Yeah. Greg wasn't wanting. <laughs> he at was Ronnie's. wanting to. Yeah, he was wanting to brand so bad, and it was early in the days. It's not broke, Shorty. It's not broke. <laughs> I says it's broke, Greg. So he had to take her home. Didn't get to brand all day. <laughs> he loved to rope as oh, much he loved as it. I, I. I don't. He, he was so he, infatuated. He loved it. he loved to go to those senior rodeos too because I'd haul him around. Greg never drove anywhere. He had a an accident when he was um, right out of college or high school. He had an accident, and so he ended up with tunnel vision where he couldn't see peripherally. So it scared him to drive because he always thought he was going to get hit from the side, you know. 
So he never drove anywhere. So, you know, I, I was a chauffeur for the six years that I worked for him. And, and there's a lot of it. Bobby Cotta, different people that worked for him <laughs> as, as well, his chauffeur. But, uh, you know, we'd go to a lot of jackpot ropings and senior rodeos and things. But he really enjoyed that. Yeah. But you're talking about <clears throat> one time he had this horse and he was, they were kind of, it was when I first got there and the horse was kind of running off on the racetrack or whatever. And so Greg, he put, he gets on his rope horse and he takes, and he puts the rope around the horse I'm on, the runaway, on the saddle horn and then runs it through the ring of the snaffle and back to him. And he said, just go down there and say, whoa, and pull on him. <laughs> so he's running beside me. And he says, do it now. I go, whoa, I pull on him. And Greg dallies and sets his horse in the ground. And it pulls this son of a gun around and just about falls down. He goes, let's do it again. <laughs> about the third time, I'm, I'd had enough of that. You know? <laughs> and, but, you know, I mean, that horse did. He kind of got over it. And, and it was, yeah, we, there, you know, it was funny because when, when I first got there, it seemed like there was a lot of horses that, that um, you know, some had some issues um and some of them you know he'd go on the round pin on this one that was running off and he said just pick up your reins and hold him and just kick on him until you know kick till he slows down and pretty soon sure enough about the third time i did you know the first time it took five minutes and then it took 30 seconds and it took like 10 seconds and that horse if he ever raised up and act like he's wanting to get out of there you just pick your legs up on him and leg on him and he just quit you know but yeah he did he did things differently you know i think i think greg didn't have that big long apprenticeship he worked for harry like i said but he uh just kind of self-taught you know and it was interesting his way of looking at it but i i think the thing is i i loved greg and and i loved um being around him he was fun you know and i enjoyed it there all the years and i think he looked at me like a son you know and we had a good relationship but he was fun to be around he was just fun and he he was a storyteller and and he just enjoyed what he was doing and he enjoyed life i mean he had a good time I enjoyed know? everybody around him and and he was like everybody liked him and and <clears throat> he was one of them guys that you'd go could go to the bar or whatever and everybody wanted to be around him and listen to him and he he was a good storyteller though. yeah it was fun he loved to joke and he liked uh, it didn't matter who you were said uh, tr you treat a king and a pauper the same except maybe the pauper a little better yeah <laughs> that's how he acted that's awesome yeah I, uh, that's bigger i guess it's, i don't know that i can be say it's regret because i never had the opportunity but i never i never got to meet greg i don't i don't know if i've ever ridden horses that felt like that as a whole you know so many for you guys you guys are by the time i got there there were 60 a year yeah starting 60 horses a year of his own it was a big operation you know it was kind of a racetrack yeah, set up and and the i mean they had a lot of stalls there a lot of pins i i don't remember if at, when i was there if there was 80 head of horses we were riding but it was a lot <laughs> by the time you i'll bet by the time you left well he had those 40 uh, half-covered pins in the back that aren't there anymore, and they had all those, and that's where a lot of the two-year-olds were. I remember Dual Pep, 
come you know come in there and greg had some kind of favorites that we started in january and dill pep i didn't start him till like march and and he didn't know what he was because he never really bred off his ranch but he's a you know i mean his son a little peppy out of miss dual dock and and uh you know we started him later on and he he come on really quick and was really working good but <clears throat> You know, I think after Dill Pep's success, he went back and bred that same mare back to Little Peppy. And, you know, that's where you got Mr. Dill Pep and Dill Peppy and Dooley Pep. Dooley Pep. Yeah, and all them. There was, a, there was a lot of Pep. But I think when I was there, Greg had kind of the, he had kind of the cow horse dynasty, you know. Uh, there were people from all over the country that'd come there to buy horses. And he had, you know, he had Remenick and Master Remedy. And, and I mean, at that time, they were some of the hottest horses going in the cow horse industry, and with the, you know, Philanek genetics. Uh, but yeah, he had some good ones. They were fun because, to me, they were a little hotter, and and I think I learned how to ride like hotter horses, and <clears throat> versus like a colder horse i think it makes a young trainer if that's all you're riding it might make you a little more aggressive but them hot horses make you a little more passive and make you wait and and they make you train them where they you got to make them think a little bit you know and i think greg his his way of training was he just kept them kind of busy because if you ever were sitting around on one he didn't like that too much he wanted to see action and see you going and he if you're riding back up the barn he wants to see their nose dragging in the ground you know and but greg was also funny because uh he always wanted to learn more about the reining you know and uh one time i'm riding in the barn and i got this horse kind of gathered up and i'm collecting him walking him into my hands and i walk by greg and he's right there by where he saddled and he's getting a drink of water and he looks up at me and and he was always kind to me. He was always good to me. But this one time caught me off guard, and he goes, the way you ride makes me sick. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what the? You know, I just thought, what the hell? Well, it's funny. About a day or two later, Bob Avila comes there, and, and Greg wants to get some help from Bob. And Bob goes out there, and he tells, uh, he tells Greg, he goes, Greg, you need, to, you need to collect these horses up and ride them up into your hands, you know? So then it was funny, it was like two or three days later, he's over there on his phone, you know, he had to milk can or whatever, he sat there and, <laughs> you know, landline, you know, and he'd sit there and talk to people. And, and I, I'm over there saddling and I hear Greg saying, yeah, you got to pick these horses up and ride them in your hands. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of stuff. I mean, that's the only time I ever felt insulted by him, but it was kind of funny that. That ain't bad know. for six years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, we, it was, it was, I, I enjoyed it there. That's probably why I stayed there six years. It was just fun, you know. Um, when I worked for Benny, you know, that, that years at Benny was kind of an eye-opener for me because, you know, my exposure early on was some Ray Hunt stuff and my dad's deal, and it was always kind of treat the horse the way you'd like to be treated and kindness and, and uh, you know, but Benny's, Benny's had worked for Tony, and Tony – you know, Johnny Brazil, Tony, Harry Rose, those guys were all Portuguese, but they learned from Vaqueros, and I think their maybe methods back then were a little different, maybe a little bit cruder, you know? And and I think that working at Benny's was kind of an eye-opener for me. And, uh, you know, but Benny was the king of the youth riders at the time. 
<clears throat> and uh, I, I think for me, though, like Benny's horses felt really good and they're really broke. But when I got to Greg's, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air because there was so much freedom. And I remember Benny and I went down there one day and Greg's out in this big arena and he like big as a coliseum here. He's got his hand down. He's got cattle are drifting down through the arena and he's just kind of cutting around in his big roping arena and, and never picked his hand up, you know. And for me, that was kind of refreshing, you know. And, and it was just it's kind of where I wanted to be and that's where I ended up, you know. Because uh, after somebody left there, I, I worked for Benny for a year and then I went to Greg's and and just like really enjoyed it. And, and that, like I said, that learning curve went way up because I got to do so much. And, and <clears throat> Greg didn't really, I don't think Greg was a great teacher, but I, I learned by watching, but I learned the most by riding all those horses and getting to ride some good horses and, and just watching, learning and, and doing a lot of work. You know, that's that was my biggest learning curve. and probably my whole career, you know. Um, and then the exposure to, you know, even the first year I was there, I think we come back to the cut in fraternity. And I think that year he showed, I don't know, he had Remenick the year before I got there. And, you know, Remenick <laughs> won the trials and, and was, the the trials is the two go-rounds and the semis combined. The high combined three scores is the winner of the trials of the fraternity. It's usually the favorite to win the Fraturi, but I think he was fifth on Remenick and and he came back a couple of years later on Master Remedy, and but but he always, you know, seemed like was always in the finals at the Fraturi. So that exposure of being around uh, the NCHA back here and watching that and being around like the cuttings we went to Pacific Coast and just being around a lot of good cutters, you know, back in the day, I think that exposure is what helped me. And whether you're, you know, playing basketball or calf roping or whatever if you're around some of the best in the world you're going to get better at it and for me it was more of a visual thing than uh videos or somebody telling me what to do or benny was really good like he could program you because he was so good with them kids he'd say left leg right leg jerk on him you know whatever but benny had them kids where it was like robots you know he had them programmed and and i think that was good for me because benny got me this got me tuned in to where i could hear what he said and i'd do it and the timing got right and things got better so that was good but then when i took what i'd learned between my dad and benny and went to greg's it was like i it wasn't like i i felt like i knew it. i i, I never felt like i knew everything and greg always said that if you think you got it all figured out you're done it's over yeah so it, for him, it was always exciting that he, kept, he felt like he kept learning all the time. And I think that's the important thing to think about is that, that how much change we've had in this industry and how much uh, different it is today, like in the raining than it was. Um, and, and being open-minded, you know, because you've got to stay current to be competitive and, and, and times do change. But, but there again, you know, horses are horses and I've seen great fence horses when I first started, I've seen great horses in the cut, and, but uh, you know, and I've seen horses that could turn around early on. But I think it's just, you know, you've got to keep being open-minded and keep thinking that you can learn something, or you're gonna get in a rut. Done. Be done because it's always changing, constantly. Yeah. John, what do you think is uh, your biggest horse-related accomplishment? 
you know, I don't know. I, I, I always enjoyed, uh, you know, I enjoyed the horsemanship part of it, I guess. Um, the connection with a horse, I, I guess as a, as a young kid, I remember going out when I was 12, 13, just going out and we lived on the Boise River and there was woods and things and I just go right out around the river and I enjoyed just the connection with that horse. But that, you know, as far as competition accomplishments, that's a different thing, but I, I enjoyed always the connection that I had with a horse. And I, I think it was something that, um, you know, that I still have today and, and horses that I, uh, I just enjoy, you know, w what I do. And I enjoy that, that personal connection that you get with a horse. And I think when that horse senses that or feels that they, they know. And I, I you know, I, I was around like Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance and people like that. And like, you know, Tom Dorrance say, you pet on him right there and you'd pet him and he'd say, that's too hard. You're petting too hard. You know? <laughs> And and I, I kind of get what he's what he was talking about. It took some thought and it took some kind of repetition, but I get where he's coming from because uh, there, there's something there that when a horse is willing, you know, I think there's two ways to train a horse. You can intimidate them or you can get them to trust you. And and with through intimidation, you kind of make them fear you a little bit. Uh, and through trust, they're going to do what you want them to do you know in a better sense so i think there's there's kind of two ways but i, I don't know really exactly if i'm answering your question but uh you know i always kind of like that part of it you know i really enjoyed the horsemanship part of it that's pretty cool to hear you say that i mean as much stuff as you've won and i mean main dog rider and everything else and like i say it uh, comes back to just that relationship what about uh about your biggest disappointment you know i don't know i mean i had like like heart of a fox was just a really special horse and it wasn't that it was a disappointment but i think he was you know he was a horse that i won one hundred twenty thousand dollars on but i won that with a lot of bad luck i think that horse could have won a lot more than i won on him but it seemed like at the Paturity, the cow set up before the center and I'm leading it going into it and at the at the stakes uh, I had Teddy in the corner of cow run under his horse's belly and back into the herd and you know just everywhere that I showed him it was like he did good but there was always something happened that he didn't win as much as he did but that was kind of a disappointment maybe I didn't win as much as I could on him um, you know and sometimes I felt like like the cutting um Maybe I'm kind of disappointed I didn't go to, you know, I'd go to the Pacific Coast or whatever, but I didn't come back here to the bigger fraternities with some of them that I maybe should have or could have. But, you know, I, I wanted early on to be a little more involved in the cutting uh, than I was because it was bigger then than, than the cow horse was in California, you know, the cutting. But. What about, uh, what do you, what's the biggest training mistake you see people make these days maybe I don't know and I mean I've always been very patient on a horse I guess I never got tried to get ahead of myself too much but I think sometimes um, like it, for example if a horse is is ready for the 
third grade, don't put him in the fifth grade. You know what I mean? So maybe the the horse is trying to comprehend, you know, what you're showing him, but maybe getting ahead of yourself, I think you can kind of lose them, and then it becomes a little more of a battle, you know. So it's just being patient to to kind of try to you know be on the same page through throughout the training and then go up a grade as you progress but sometimes people get ahead or maybe get too into them too soon you know i think there's a time and a place for everything but i I think they have to eventually (laughs) learn how to take some pressure but you know you gotta you gotta be patient with that What, uh, what do you think is the most, this is an interesting question and we get different answers to it, but the most important five minutes of your career? Hmm. You know, probably in the start, uh, it's kind of funny because they used to have two-way radios for the judges, you know. But when I showed Odo Master at the fraternity and won the fraternity, there was kind of con- confusion because the, the judges weren't getting the, the <coughs> two-way radios were not good, you know. So I we thought that Les Vote and I had tied, and it took them probably five minutes to figure out that, that they had to go reconfirm the scorecards and found out I had won it, you know. And, and during that time, Greg come to me and he said, he said, he said, I had a premonition that you won. And then it was, it was one more than five minutes later that they come and told me that I'd won the fraternity. So maybe that was it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it started me, it kicked me off. You know, that was my second year out of my own. And I won the fraternity. So it kind of jump started me. You sure. know what I mean? Jump started my career. So, yeah. That's a good and That's a, I like that. Yeah. He was big on the premonitions. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, it was funny because he was sweating, and he said it really freaked him out that he had this premonition. And, and Greg was kind of weird like that because <laughs> right. he, he was kind of – he was a different guy. I mean, he was very, very – I think Greg was extremely educated, very smart, but he was he was superstitious, and he did have premonitions about things. Uh-huh. I did not realize he was a clairvoyant. Occasionally. What, uh, you know, we these conversations are great because we get to talk about how great you are and everything else, but uh, what about your brokest moment? And this is a two-part question. One first part is financially. You know, <clears throat> I mean, probably my brokest moment, I went to college my freshman year in college, and I'm the, I'm the third of four sons, so my dad... <clears throat> had one of the better horses and Dan had a good horse and Tim had a pretty good horse and I got the four stringer. So I went to college <laughs> without any Tim was in college, so my dad just sent me up there with him. I didn't have a vehicle. I didn't have a good horse. I got mounted everywhere. And uh and I was heading steers, you know, and calf roping, bulldogging, riding barebacks and all that. But when I went to college that was probably my brooks moment. But the thing is is after that first semester I uh, I started going to some pro am ropings and Mike Beers was a college roommate 
and Alan Bach went to them, and I was heading steers for those two guys. And and on a weekend, you'd win like six hundred, and pretty soon I wasn't broke anymore. Uh huh. Never, never a dull never moment. Yeah. Dull moment. All right. Well, what about your uh, brokest moment egotistically? You know, it's probably that move to Idaho. You know, because I went from feeling like you know i was still competitive and and then when i moved up there i had to regroup and and that's hard when you move from where your clientele is to a different state and and so i felt like i still had it in me but i just didn't have the the horses the first three years there i did three or four years it took a while to regroup and i'm finally getting where i want to be but it took a few years to get back to where you're riding some pretty good horses you know Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, like I say, just, I mean, we're all getting older, you know, yeah. and, then, and then to go take that break at that same time. Yeah, and it happened a couple of years because my wife announced that I was moving. So, you know, sometimes <clears throat> it seemed like my numbers were down before I ever left California because they knew I was all leaving. But then it took a while to sell that place, you know. Uh, I stayed there till I sold it, and, and we'd already bought that place uh I think we bought that place in CUNA like four years before I ever moved up there. Four oh, or five years, yeah. We owned it before I moved up there. And my wife had a place up there. So we, we owned three properties. And, and so I kind of had to sell my ranch to build on the other one, you know. So I waited till it did sell. Right. <clears throat> you think uh, what plays on your mind in getting older because you see a lot of people that win a lot and you won as much as anybody as big a force as anybody and just thinking about dealing with life after you're not yeah i mean you know, I, being able to enjoy just riding yeah i think i think they're like i touched on earlier that it it's not really a, i mean i'd sure i'd love to go win the fraternity or the world's greatest again uh but i think for me it's it's the do you still enjoy what you're doing or is it about winning? You know, is it about winning or is it about enjoying what you're doing? Is it about the relationship you have with your horse or is it about winning or being in the top 30 riders? You know, it depends on, um, you know, I, I mean, I've done well and, and I, I feel like it isn't, um, like financially I'm doing as well as maybe some of the guys are in the top, right you know what i mean I, mm -hmm. i'm just still doing what i enjoy and i think it you know it's it's frustrating uh you know if you you know it, it's kind of frustrating sometimes uh if you feel like you lose a step but if you don't stay current and you don't show up then you're going to fall behind you know so um it's just about getting getting the right livestock and going back out there and kind of for me you know, being current, trying to be current, you know, mm -hmm. but. Have you found you, you're doing more lessons now? Or you got more non-pros or? Uh, yeah, I probably am, you know, because when I got up there, it's like, they just kind of, a lot <coughs> of non-pros, you know, and a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of lessons, you know, I, I, I probably hire more help than I ever had before for the number of horses, but I, I, 
you know, you physically can't ride, you know, 25 head anymore. You know what I mean? So I've just got more help. And they, like a lot of my kids that work for me, they give lessons as well. So it isn't always that I'm the one giving lessons because a lot of times they do. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not, I'd say about, you know, my non-pro, I don't take any haul-in lessons. The only way I give lessons is if they got the horse in training. Mm. And they're non-pros that um, either have fraternity horses or bridle horses or whatever, but I don't I don't really do haul-in lessons. I just, they, if they got the horse in <laughs> training, then they come out and ride a couple times a week or whatever, and we keep them going the rest of the time. Mm. That can get to be a staggering deal, yeah. them haul-in lessons. We yeah. get calls on yeah, that, I and just, we kind of do the same thing. If they have something in training, that's one thing. But Yeah, I don't, I don't really have any hauling lessons it takes a uh, there's people that are great at giving lessons to anyone i mean it's a it's a talent that not everyone has i think i i think you know it's funny when i first went out on my own giving a lesson i was like do this do that and then i'd get on the horse and i'd do something completely different <laughs> than what i'm telling them what to I do know. And so it's a process you got to learn. But I, I feel like I have an eye for things. And I can tell you if the ribs are in the way or if they're this or that. And, the, you know, I just see things that I didn't know about back when I first started giving lessons. But I don't know. I, I feel like I just, I don't know. I've been around it all my life. It's in my blood. And, and I just feel like I really can see things that, you know, I mean, people ask me their opinion a lot of times, whether it's my son or, uh, you know, or anybody. And if, if uh, you know, I just, I don't, I just try to evaluate what's going on and watch them. And, and it could be, it could be that they're too quick or they're too, uh, you know, too much kicking instead of pressing or whatever it is and, and just try to, evaluate that but I, I've never been one to be much of a kicker I'm more of a press kind of person you know with my leg and I think feel is always kind of stress feel timing and balance and and I think that uh, you know and watching the cow and I, I think too I stress a lot I'm kind of like Chris when he turns his horse around he don't look at his horse and I, I kind of stress out with my non-pros and it'll go from a bad turnaround to a good turnaround when they quit looking at him you know and for me, it just it just worked. It's um, there's little things like that that just work, uh, you know. And I I spent time around a lot of different trainers, helping people, and I picked up a lot from from just different people, you know, and just little things here and there, you know, and just put it all together. And but just you know, main thing is kind of keeping it simple, and because horses are. You know they're kind of pretty simple-minded and you got to keep it kind of simple if you make it too complex i think you can you know got to be there and let them know you're there in a sense but if you surprise them or catch them off guard you know it doesn't always work that well mm -hmm. how would you describe your training philosophy um there's a lot of different sayings i guess uh like treat your horse the way you'd like to be treated um you know when your speed involved is is uh ride fast and stay clear of diablo <laughs> <laughs> you know um I, I i don't know softness kindness all that you know but but kind of um 
you know, getting your horse to trust you, you know, a little bit. You know, you can be there and you can be firm and you can be, you know, put them where you want. But you, you I, for me, it goes back to the foundation of there, there always needs to be an outlet to pressure. Like you can put a pressure on a horse. You might be working on a set of turnarounds. You can put some pressure on him. But then you've got to reward them when, you know, it's kind of like there's, or, or you can work the flag and there's pressure, but if that horse does not relate, there's a purpose to what you're doing, then, you know, there's no, you know, it doesn't make sense to them. So, so I think if you can make a purpose out of what you're doing, and sometimes some of the better horses I ever trained, uh, they always, I did something different on them. I gave them a job for a while or I helped go sort, you know, load cattle trucks or help Bob Harley gather 800 head of Mexican steers and, and sort out the bad eyes and the broken horns and, 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 you know, put them on the truck. And, and at the end of the day, you know, maybe one of the best fence horses I ever had was that I'm a smart remedy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did with her uh, several times. Harvard Fox was another one. I took him to Brandon's. I did a job on him. You know, there was a purpose with everything we were doing. And, and I think that horses, uh, when, like myself, when I got real busy and I'm showing nine head, I remember the one year at the fraternity, uh, pre-fraternity there, I had like nine horses. There was 10 sets. I had a horse, you know what I mean? And, and when you saturate it that much, it's hard to, for me to have that focus and that energy to do a good, a really good job on them. But I think there's a, there's a limit to, you know, how many like fraternity horses you can show. A little bit. You know? What's your magic number there? You think? I think, I think five, six head is is a pretty magic number. But now, you know, it's different now because you got a lot of time. I mean, there was in the early years, you know, you show in the herd work. The next day, you come back and do the that night. You'd stay up all night in school for the rain, and then you go show them all in the rain, and then maybe a day or two later, you come back and run down the fence. So, when you had six or seven there, it was tough. I mean, and now you got more time. It's more spread out. Well, there's plenty of time this year. So I'm going to are spread out like the Dickens. I don't know. It's a lot of. Yeah, I got I one horse that's got ten days between. <laughs> I showed one on Thursday, and I don't show again until Saturday. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's plenty of time this yeah. year. At the same token, though, when, when you had that, you know, nine head of fraternity horses, seven head of fraternity horses, it was not even kind of unheard of when I first when we first started doing it, but. And it was hard to, like Roger said, to get all the time you need to get the, to get them trained as well as you need. But everyone was in the same boat. It, now, they're the the first place winners have moved up so far that you can't do that anymore and get any of the nine in there, because there's a lot of people taking the right amount of time on four head, and they're marking yeah, huge. I, I think, you know, there's trainers that's got really good help, and, and they do help them. You know, they've got they've got a good program. They've got really good help, and, and it helps them. It, it really does. I think if you're kind of if – you, if your assistants aren't really that qualified and they're just saddling and loping them around, it's kind of different. But if you've got assistants that can actually train a horse, it, it can become very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. If you have – have your two-year-old program isn't that good the next year's a dirty booger if you're out there showing like crazy you know damn it cj (laughs) (laughs) oh speaking of that did you see what happened 
I did not see you, it. You didn't? Uh-uh. I saw a video of it. I don't know if we want to bring it up or not. I'm going to let you do it if you want to. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Okay. Well, with that. <laughs> Love you, CJ. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about failure? Uh, you know, I, I never feared failure, you know. I mean, I've had failures in my life, but I, I, I don't, it isn't something I think about much or I never feared it, you know. Um, I was always willing to kind of step out there, but I don't, I don't fear it, you know, you know. I think everybody has failures in their life, um, but, you know, I don't, no, no fears, though. I like it. What about uh, give us some? What about some Ronnie Richards stories? We just lost Ronnie the other day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Ronnie, he was a good man. I, I just, you know, he was. Uh, you know, when I first come around Ronnie, he was um, uh, probably in the early '80s, I guess. And I, I just remember him showing at the fraternities and stuff, and and he was kind of the king of the Southern California cow horse you know and he was big in the raining he was always good in the rain and then he kind of later in life him and Karn got into the cutting quite a bit and then just after that he he retired at 55 and he just went and played golf every day you know and and didn't wasn't real active and uh but he uh you know he was uh I I just admired him in in his style and the way that he he you know the clientele that he had and the way he ran his business in his barn I think he had a lot of success that way but he was uh, you know but the thing is he got out I think Ronnie got out before he felt like he was losing a step you know um, and and he was able to get out and and kind of retire he moved down to the Southern California to the beach you know and lived there for quite a while before he moved back up to I think I think he moved back up to Kingsbury before John yeah. and Lori got together. You know? Yeah. Right there on the canal. I never spent a lot of time riding with Ronnie, I guess. I mean, he was around, but I never spent a lot of time riding with him. But he was always, he'd always put little, he'd throw things out there, you know. He'd tell you, you know, you need to maybe lope squares on that horse. Or he'd tell you little suggestions, you know. He'd tell you little things on a bridle horse or whatever. He'd tell you something about the hackamore. Uh, but he wasn't, I, I think he spent a lot more time at John Ward's, you know, than he did around me. But um, he just, Ronnie kind of, when he retired, he kind of retired and he really didn't, I think later on he started riding again. But, yeah, that was kind of a, you know, I tell you, it was hard on, on, Bobby Ingersoll because I was up there at Reno and and he kind of you know when he had his heart attack or whatever um, and it was but you could tell Bobby was kind of struggling with it because it happened in his home and um, and then within a week I think Gary Gonzalez double G you know uh, and so Bobby said he lost two of his best friends within a week you know Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a tough deal yeah been yeah. a long month. Yeah. At least Ronnie got to go fast. So it's early, but it was 
How old was Ronnie? Go. 85. Yeah. 85. Yeah. But such good. Right. Well, that's uh, what I mean. I just mean? seen no him in failing. Vegas. Well, that yeah. was it. I mean, we just seen him good in Vegas. Good mind and good health. Wasn't that long ago we interviewed him. Yeah, yeah, I listened to that podcast on the way out here, and it was kind of interesting, you know, listening to, you know, back in his era and, and how things were. And, and uh, yeah, it was kind of very interesting. And I knew some stuff. I knew that he come from the Sacramento area and trained in that. But he was, yeah, it was kind of a, he's, you know, he was started out before it was the snaffle bit dirty, you know. He was doing it, so. Yeah, I was sure glad that we got him. Yeah. Got him to sit down and get where we'll spend a little time with him. Although here lately, I feel like we're like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Watch out, Be careful. Tanya may be up John's insurance. <laughs> what, uh, what do you think? If there's one trait, one inherent trait to being, success, to being a successful in the horse business, what do you think that that, I mean, if just... You had to take one thing. I mean, if it was on a horse, whatever. But if it's on a person, one deal. I think it's a. It's a lot about personality, you know, uh, because I knew kids that worked for Greg, and Greg would say he's going to make it, and he said it ain't really on training horses; he's just good with people. So I, I think, you know, uh, if if people like being around you and they enjoy being around you and they like you as a person, I think a lot of times that that carries a lot of weight, you know. So that's that's one thing, you know. Uh, you know, I think you got to have be kind of diligent too, and and but but I think that personality goes a long way, though, uh, with people because they <clears throat> it, it carries you a long ways, you know. Long ways. I'm not it's, saying that carried me, but it, it, I'm just saying that carries a lot. Some of them. Yeah. You see a lot of people that don't do as well, but they're very fun to be around. They're good people, and they're good to their clients, and they go on forever. Yeah. And their clients are happy. And maybe they don't get quite as many wins, but they. But the thing about horse showing is it's not a business. It's a, it's a pastime. It's a hobby. It's yeah. a hobby. And if you make that too much of a business in there, and don't realize that it's a hobby also, and it's no fun to come to the shows, why do it? They go do something else that's fun. They're, yeah, they'll go buy a boat or something, go yeah. to the lake, you know, but it's got to be fun for them. And I think that's the the one thing that I've seen over the years is there's a lot of people that, that just enjoy it. And, and I guess if you, you know, kind of treat them right, they're, they're going to, that's kind of important. I'll tell you what it is, though. It is getting a lot harder to retain that fun at the shows with the as big as it's getting, as as um, as many horses as we're showing, and as much more time you have to put on each horse. That that's getting harder to keep that ambiance. Well, it was a little I think, bit more freewheeling. Yeah, and I think the earlier. social part of it. It, now it's kind of all business, you know, and there used to be, I mean, in the early years, I guess, you know, it used to be more of a big social event where mm. everybody got together, like in Fresno, and everybody get together at the hotel, and every night it was kind of fun, you know, fun for, for not only the trainers the or owners. the help, but it was fun for the owners, you know. Yeah. They, they just, 
enjoyed it. It was kind of a fun deal. Now, now it's kind of spread out, and it's hard for an owner to come back here and spend three weeks. So they're going to come back if you make the finals, for example, unless they live right here in this area. But that's what makes it a little bit tougher. Yeah, just so spread out. You know, I've got a set of customers that are here um, from Michigan, and they have come down and they're spending all twenty days. All 20 days. They've got Sarah showing her three-year-old. Um, my Hackamore mare that I showed today, they own her. And they're awesome. And uh, like I say, but I, it's kind of one of those deals. Like early in my career, it was like, you know what? This is going to be a results-based program. We're going to deal worry about the results. We're not going to worry about having about the customers too much. You know what I mean? Like they're sending me horses to try and do good. Well, and that's fine. Except that runs out, right? That's not, that's only going to happen so long. You can, can't guarantee the results. So you have to provide some kind of a experience for them as well. I've gotten to where I try and let the customers like set up times because they would come to horse shows and like at the horse shows, not only do you have their horse, but you have your other customers' horses and you have this and that. It's really hard for me at horse shows to provide much experience. Now I try to encourage them to, hey, come to the house. Come spend three days. Yeah. Come hang out. Shoot. Watch us work horses. Maybe we'll knock off early and barbecue or whatever and do something. But at the horseshoe, it's just so darn hard. I mean, to come up with an extra two hours, you know? It's tough to shove one in here. Really Where tough. Like Roche was just saying, you know what, forehead. And, it, and somehow now it takes all day. And I used to have nine fraternity horses, and then I don't know how many show horses. And we somehow we were done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. Right. Well, like, we've been after each other to get an interview done. And here we are. It's 11 o'clock at night, sitting here in the top of this Will Rogers, doing an interview. And it's the only opportunity we've had. We've been here, what, six days? And this is the first Shot. And, and really not even a shot. I mean, I got a Hackamore horse and a bridle horse. I've got to school sometime before 5 in the morning. Yeah. So, I mean. It's just gotten this, away. But, yeah. So Maybe just, the schooling didn't used to be as much, Roj, huh? You know, I remember, yeah, we schooled them for the rain work. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't know with the Hackmore and the bridle and all. I mean, we did. We schooled them. I mean, it's, it's Some, always been it, there. What? It didn't seem to be. I, I don't know how we had the time. Man, we're just showing I don't know. I, I can tell you that, that Fresno one year, the rocks were in the arena, and I remember we were picking up rocks till about <laughs> 3 in the morning. Then we got on school, those 7 or 8 dead. Then the show started, and it was like 30 minutes of sleep, and you're back at it. I think Bob, Bob Avila, that interview, he's talking about, you know, picking up rocks out of the arena all night long. But, you know, that was back, too, where – we borrowed the water truck. The back gate <laughs> help was free. The scribes were volunteers. That was before horse show became a business. You know? Yeah. That was all volunteer help. The first brief attorney at the Fresno deal was my arena. I tore it down at my house and oh, hauled yeah. it up yeah. there and oh, set it up. I forgot about that. Was that at Fresno State there? Yeah. Yeah. Almost killed my mother-in-law, dropping a row of panels on her. My <laughs> wife was pregnant. She was throwing, <laughs> throwing, unload. We got a whole semi of shavings, and she was unloading them. That was that uh, year. Was, was that the first? Uh, was that Topsail Rainmakers for yeah. year? I remember that. Yeah. 
I remember your fence run too, because you went clear down into the corner. Yes. <laughs> what was that? O two. We've been O two. Yeah, yeah, me and you it made was. Yeah, limited yep. miles. My that was yep. limited, limited finals. finals. Yeah. <laughs> and here Smart. we are. And then uh, uh, who won it? Uh, Robbie. Robbie Schroeder. Schroeder won yep. it on Lena Spark. Uh, Lena Spark. Yeah, he marked a 227 in the raining and whipped the tar out of this. Just took all the points away. Retarded. All of them. It's a retarded score. I was like, 227? This what is the limited finals, dude. <laughs> what in the world? Get happening? out of here. Put him in the open. Right? For the love of Pete. That was like the first um, world's richest with Ron Rawls. He just took it all away. Yeah, he After did. he went, there was nothing. There was no hope left. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> so disappointed. Air. I know. Suck the air out of the, the building. warm-up pit. I was in the warm-up pit, and it just went like a tomb. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm riding around there what thinking. What does second pay? Like 17000 <laughs> Paid 100000 the first. But at the time, the biggest horse show bridal you could oh. run at was like 5000 so I'm riding around, trotting around. I'm like, "Hey, wait a minute! What? It still pays fifteen thousand for second and twelve thousand. I'm thinking, holy hell, we don't get to run this kind of money anywhere else. Mm. Yeah, we lost a hundred thousand, but hey, you know let's what? Let's get it on. <laughs> I tell you what, I was fortunate enough to win that deal at your horse show, and I mean, and it doesn't say how much that that horse show paid. Your picture's just up there next to the rest of them forever. I mean. I, and I don't you think I don't remind my wife about it too <laughs> I don't know how many times she's been second there like three or four times <laughs> so I love rubbing it in right there look how much all this is paying we paid uh, I forgot 654000 or something at that show crazy over 300000 here yeah Reno has to pay I don't know I don't know there's there's over a million and a half dollars for the cow horse in pre fraternities now. Yeah, before you come here. Before you come to the fraternity. That that's quite a change from what Roger's oh, talking the, Hey, the changes. It's Yeah. I, I mean uh nineteen ninety I won thirty four thousand for winning fraternity. This year at the fraternity is paying two hundred thousand to the winner. That's insane. Jeez. And that that hundred whatever million plus that I won that was a lot of horse showing. <laughs> it's a lot easier to become a million dollar rider these days. Well, it takes less wins, right? Darn sure takes For less sure. wins. I don't think anybody, no matter the era, I don't think anybody wants to calculate how many entry fees were paid to get them to a million now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what me and Matt Cook were just talking about that because I mean Matt, I mean he, he's uh, him and what him and Clayton are, just hit it this yeah. year, but I'm talking about Matt. Matt's not. I mean, and Clayton has done an excellent job as well. And I don't, I don't, I just I'm not that familiar. But Matt has done that in Pueblo, Colorado, mm. and Rapid City, South Dakota. I mean, and just. Knocking, knocking boots, right? Just knocking it around at them weekends. Really and truly, that's the bulk of what he's done. And I mean, it's that's a lot of it, rides. It's old school. I yeah. mean, Matt really has done it old school. It's a, but it, it wow. 
I don't care. I don't care if it's now or if it's then. It's a lot of money to win. Oh, and, man. I mean, it's that's a tough deal. It's, hey, something I want to ask you, and I don't know if you're old enough for this question to apply, but everybody talks about the old horses that would compete today. What about today? What about these horses today? Could they hold up without injections and without the fancy drags and the groundwork and the pristine cattle and everything else? I think they do. I mean, I I had that horse that I win the stakes on back in 2012. And when we sold that horse, Mike Sanders was my vet. And he come there, and every time he flexed his hawks, he's like, he's good, he's good. Well, we sold him, uh, and I'd won like 97000 on him or something, and that horse had never been injected ever. And so there are individuals that have good conformation, you know, good bone structure, whatever, that just don't, don't need it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's others that back then, I mean, they viewed them or whatever they did. But that's true. They, I think the ground was, was something that... The biggest. Well, like I watched those old videos before my time. Even I probably wasn't showing, but I remember seeing a video from like 1984, and it was like you could see, visually see the ground. It was like an <laughs> ocean wave. And they're all looking for that good spot, you know, and it was either the hard spot. They try to stop in the hard spot because that, that spring teeth probably would dig and then it'd roll over the top. Right. And, the holes in the arena there used to be i mean for real holes yeah it was just anyway, a, it, it, everyone watched the ground you don't need to watch no one need, uh, cares you can you see mean, the you tra- would be, there would be a whole show where everyone's running diagonal <laughs> because there's a good spot on that side on that end and a good spot on the other side on the other end <laughs> Well, like like at Selena still to this day, they go out there yeah. and they rip yeah. that about a foot deep in the morning, and then they have like the you know parade goes through there. Then they have a motorcycle <laughs> deal during the rodeo, and and so whenever I run and stop there, I'd always look for tractor tire tracks or something, you know, where you could hit that hard yep. spot, you know. But Selena's was always fun, but it was, you know, good. I mean, the ground probably level, but it was like inconsistent. <laughs> and especially in the morning was yes. the hard part. In the morning, they do the they do the eliminations in the morning, and and you might have team roping or bronc riding going on right next to the arena next <laughs> over, and and you know your your cow might spook off the fence because there's some bucking horse running right up into you, <laughs> and in the afternoon that ground would dry out a little bit, but they'd always have some act out there, you know, before we yeah. went, and and they'd only bring five back, but it was always fun, but it was like the ground you had to. Kind of pick your ground, though. Yeah. And that's that's what, in the old days, them guys would school and pick their ground. You know what I mean? They'd pick that ground, but had to hit it right. Mm-hmm. It's been cool with that Cowboy Channel because they'll be showing the rodeo, and you'll see. And sometimes they'll even have, like, another, like, an extra screen going, and they'll show some of the cow horse that's happening yeah. over there. Or you'll just see it in the background, and you're like, oh, there's something so-and-so going down the fence. Like, yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I've never. That's that's that. one I've never been to. Uh-uh. Oh really? Horse. Nope, never been. It's well, a different they, world because it's summer and you step, you haul off over there, and it's foggy mornings, and your horses are fresh, <laughs> <laughs> and there ain't no stall barns. They're just pins. 
Really? Stalls, if you're lucky. We we got, you know, Greg would always get stalls there because he always have a stud, but we'd go there like Thursdays because they used to have the cut in there, and they'd, they'd settle cattle in the morning, and then for the performance during the rodeo, it was about 2 o'clock you'd show, but they'd pre-settle them, and they'd just bring them in there and cut five head, and then same way with the bridle at Hackamore and the non-pro bridle in Hackamore, but... It, it's kind of a tradition there, and I don't think it's ever going to go away in Salinas, hopefully. But but a lot of those fairs and stuff that we used to show at, now they're like Ventura, you know, they don't have the no, they're gone. show anymore. But And it's kind of sad because that's kind of where it all began. But Salinas, I think, is going to hold that tradition for a long time. Yep. It's a big part there. It's a pretty big party there. And that, yeah. that's really where it all began, Bellotto Park and, you know, some of those places in the, you know, coast over there central coast yeah but you're right I, I mean the first year i worked for greg i went over there and it's about 110 in the valley <laughs> and i get to salinas i don't bring a jacket because it's been 100, <laughs> 110 is 95 degrees at night you know so i go over there with no jacket and i mean i went to the first vendor that morning it was foggy <laughs> and cold and froze my ass off <laughs> but but what was cool is is in the in the cow work they have a uh they have like this uh, pit for photographers there. So when you box your cow and you leave, you go probably, what, 50 yards? And there's that, that pit, and those cattle always blow off the fence. <laughs> and that arena is probably, what would you say, it's 80, 90 foot wide and yeah. like 400 feet long. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but you got a lot of time getting back on the fence. But it was always Because it's a racetrack, right? It yeah. is on the it's track. racetrack. One time I'm there, and uh, I'm boxing, and I'm ready to go. And the photographer just trots across the arena to the pit that he's talking about. And they're hollering at him to get out of the arena. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm the photographer. It's okay. I can go over there. <laughs> and so I got to make another pass on there. Well, when he gets in there, you know, that steer sees him get in there. And here he comes right out to the middle. <laughs> it all worked out. But no, no new you cow. You should have took him the first time. I should have. <laughs> Would have been way more dramatic. <laughs> well, and during during the prelims in the morning, you know, it was always kind of quiet around there. But during the rodeo, it was like a different circus world. going on. And you might have, you know, anything. You never knew what was going to happen there. But, like, one year they had to, they had this big television camera that's sitting on the fence right above there. And I ride in there on my Hackmore horse, and he sees that and blows off over there. And I, <laughs> he don't break gate, he don't drop out of lead. And, and you know, I got fortunate and won the Hackmore class that year, but it was like, I thought he, that horse wasn't even going to lope in the arena. He freaked <laughs> out because this thing is be setting like a about bell six racer. foot. He's on a swivel thing that he can just turn the cameras <laughs> around, and he's up there on that, and the horse is looking at that and blowing. Blowing and going. And they don't care. You show or leave. This is like they're not. You can go complain if you want, but you're getting nowhere. <laughs> but it was always a. I mean, a lot of the people in California always went there, but it was kind of prestigious, and they always gave, you know, through the years they always gave a really nice buckle, and they'd always give a pair of spurs as well. So it was always really good awards there, Selena. So yeah, it was always fun. It it really was. My grandpa would go rent a motel, and kill a steer. And cooked the whole thing. I mean, Salinas was a big, big deal. Cooked the whole thing and everyone just come there and eat for free because he's trading so many cattle there. And everyone's there. They're all there. So you just get them coming through and who knows how much business you do. But it had that racetrack all the way around. The arena was in the center. And then 
out back behind the stalls, there was like rodeo rigs for days. Days. I mean, you couldn't hardly get in and out of there. And once you were there, you you were were stuck. You were, yeah, you're there. There, Everyone goes there top to bottom. The the richest people, the poorest people, they all go. Yeah. It's it's crazy. The fans are just like, you know, the shorts and the boots and the (laughs) tank top and the Dale Earnhardt ads and... (laughs) Yeah, large Hispanic population around Salinas. So, you know, you, you have the, you Charles also have the there. Charles and the guys in the parade riding the Andalusians and they're all stallions and they're, you know, you got to deal with all that as well. Because a lot of them bored them there. Yeah. Know, in, in the off season or whatever. Warm up on that track. What about, uh, what about grandbabies? I got three of them now. Um, yeah, my, I got, uh, Clay's got two. He's got a daughter that's about a year and three months, and then he's got one that's about a month old. And and then uh, Gage, my other son, he's got a uh, he's got a boy that's about a year and a half. So yeah. two boys, and one girl. Been a lot of fun. And they all live right there, close. Yeah, they're all close. Yeah. You so you've been doing a lot of babies. You ain't got time to train three year olds. You got yeah. babysitting to do. Yeah, my my wife, she takes. Uh, the one boy once a week or so, you know, one day a week, and and then, you know, Clay, Clay, he just recently moved from, from my t- hometown. He's he's probably, all thirty minutes away is all, but we're all close there. It's been fun though. I was looking at your daughter's little, mobile horse, you know. Oh yeah. Oh, speaking of that. And I need to, yeah, I need to think about Christmas and. There it is. Oh yeah. I forgot. My mother-in-law gave me this. Piece of paint. She pulls me up this little half piece of paper to give to me. She says, "Will you give this to John? Are you going to interview? You're interviewing John? Like, yeah. Will you give this to him? I'm like, well, if I don't forget or lose it, thank God <laughs> thank that God I asked that question yeah. because I would have forgotten. And I, everybody has seen Hadley riding her little pony cycle. Pony cycle. Yeah. And we said we should have brought about a half a dozen pony cycles <laughs> and here. Them. Yeah. Yes." Yeah, that'll be perfect for Christmas coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had to get her something faster for Vegas. That's why we ended up with it, because she had a little horse on wheels, and we'd go to Vegas, and she'd take this horse with her, and she'd want to ride her horse from the room, and she'd ride it down the hallway to the elevator when it's just her walking her little wheelie horse, and it's slow. And yeah. I mean, Cheryl oh, says she's Cheryl sitting down a, and barely Yeah, moving. Cheryl <laughs> says it's a solid half-hour ordeal. To get from the room to the barn. She was cruising that thing around today. Oh, pretty cute. hey, old, old Blackie. Old Blackie moves. She's got, some, she's got that thing about half broke. Yeah. <laughs> and she's finally got him where he steers. Like, it took her a minute because he's a little. The son of a gun don't back up, though. I mean, he don't. I mean, and I'm knocking. He don't back up a lick. Like, you got to pick him up if you want him to back up. Like, I don't know. Something about the mechanics of it. I've but, had some of those. Yeah. My, yeah my, my mom, she comes to babysit, so she picks him up and she puts him in our pantry because my, my little girl loves to hang out in the pantry. All right? I don't, that, that's her favorite room. Like, there's been days that she's like, come on, Dad, and she'll get me and get Mom and, like, just lead us in the pantry and shut the door. Right? <laughs> stay here no well sometimes sometimes yeah then she'll be like stay here i'll be back and she'll leave and shut the door on you and leave you in the pantry you don't know so there you are so mom gets her where she backs this little horse she gets him set in there and pointed out the door and she says all right i say let's go boys 
And Hallie said, let's go, boys. And Mom will open the door, and she'll spur this rascal out of there, and away she goes all around the house. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know how long that they – for those that know my mom, wow. She can go a long time. And so I have no idea how many times my child's been out of my pantry saying, let's go, boys, and spurring, spurring old Blackie on out of there. That yeah. might be bad later on. <laughs> the bald wonder speaks again. Jiminy Pete. <laughs> what about John? Back to what about back to Galhor's full contact here. What about what about horse showing? Do you see any big mistakes? Do you see any holes that you're watching these younger guys show and be like, he? dummies no i don't i i think it's gotten better even that guy i think it's gotten better Old you know? silver lining yeah you know silver right there. Lining? there he is there he is <laughs> you know now I, I i tell you they're just the horses you know they've been breeding them for how many years at two all of them you know and it's it's kind of a pretty shallow genetic pool but i'm just saying that there's so much out there for people to learn from anymore um educational videos clinics rain cow like horse training online that that too and and i'm just saying that that a lot of these guys uh are are present and they're showing up and and they're doing it good you know it's just like today in that hackmore class you know look how many Jeez, 220s and 220 <sighs> above you know 220 above and i'm just saying that that a lot of these guys are really got it figured out and they're competitive and it's it's still a lot about horse flesh and and maybe a little bit of luck but but you know i just see as an industry it's um the herd works looks like cutting the rain works looks like rainers and the fence work looks like cow horses so it all you know it's gotten better and it's gotten a lot more competitive and there's a lot more people doing it good um and there's a lot more of them so so it's uh it's been really good it, it's good to come to one of these major events and watch just how good these guys really are right what i guess and i don't really know how to form this question but we're just finishing up here with the hackmore classic we got three more sets tomorrow to finish up that but these derbies now like there was a time when you mark a 660 you you're gold. You did something. You're yeah. gold. And now, I mean, like, I mean, I told my wife standing at the back gate today, like, you know, as long as you get in that 660 range, you've done your job. Son of a gun, that's a lot of job. That's a lot. That's a lot of yeah. job. But, like, I mean, I'm a 58 or something, and I think I'm sitting in there about 12th in this Hackamore Classic with a 58, something mm. like that. And I recall she was a 62 and a half. Oh, she's a bunch, yeah. She's a lot of points. She stacks them on top of me all the time. It's fine. She's smooth. Oh, yeah. But uh, she ain't first. Shoot, I don't even know if she's top five with a 662, to be honest with you. I haven't, uh, I haven't checked since it's got over today. Jeez. It seemed like what I saw. There's a bunch of them up there right around there, two to a 63 and a 62, two and a half, two. You know, they were, there's a bunch of them right in there. Well, but. I mean, I, was I don't know how much different the job. I guess, so I guess my question is, how much different does it seem? I mean, yes, is the judging just freer? 
Is it that much better? Is there just more of them? That's the, I mean, I think you'll hear guys say that, oh, well, the judging's looser. It's easier to mark more points, but it doesn't seem like it when you're out here trying to mark those points. I'll tell you that. I think it's that, to me, the ground, you know, it, it, not everybody loves the ground, but the ground is consistent with these drags, that, you know, and the ground type. You know, you can go get stopped in it. You're not going to fall down. And, you know, so the ground's good. The cattle are good. And the horses are well trained, so it it just makes it really competitive, you know. And uh, and there, like I said, there's a whole bunch of them that have it figured out and are doing it, and they're doing it well. And and I think when you get those kind of numbers, you know, you're going to have and and people start realizing that they're they're not going to show up if they're not don't have something that's competitive. But I just think that there's there's got to be all these magic crosses and horses that are doing it. <clears throat> and it's just a very competitive world anymore, you know. But you got to show up on some, some good ones, you know, to be competitive. But it's, you know, I was just thinking today. I was actually thinking it with all those big two twenties, and as I was talking about before about the world's richest. That first year when Ron Rawl smoked everybody. Yeah. Well, it took a two twenty across the board to get a check, and that was mind blowing. At that time, it was mind-blowing that there could be three events and it takes two 20s across the board to get an event, to get a check. So there were so many people that didn't come the next year. It went from 30 to, like, 15. And Randy Paul was one of the ones. I said, Randy, are you coming? He says, I can't. He said, you know, if, if I thought that I could catch the last check, I would come and show but it took a 220 across the board, and on my horse's best day, he can't do that across the board. Now, look at all them horses in there marking it. And I think that when the raining first came, the scores went to the 27s for some of the rainers because at that point, they were so far ahead of the field. Yeah. Then it kind of caught up, and everyone got as good as them, and then those scores came back down to around the 20. The kind of industry standard The industry standard adjusted, and I feel like that's going to happen. It's going to have to happen again at some point. You can't just keep, you can't keep pushing it up because there's a ceiling up there somewhere that you're going to have to, you have to leave it up. You have to have room to, to separate the horses. So, there's going to be a time when we got to come back to the 216s, 218s really meaning something. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be fun, and it's and people aren't going to take it well. It, it seems like a little bit today's <clears throat> today's 216 was yesterday's 213 a little bit. Yes. And I know that um, the judging, they have talked about that, you know, you really got to differentiate that, that 16 and that 13. You know what I mean? You got to... Mm-hmm. There's got to be a difference there. Uh, and because they, they had them two grouped up at a 16, you know, back back whenever. And so they started actually marking some higher scores and, and get out of the 16s to the 19s and the 20s. And I think that, uh, like I said, yesterday's 13 is now a 16 maybe. And maybe yesterday's 17 might be a 19, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it seems like... Uh, you know, I've seen I've seen really great runs that 
you know, mark a 220. And I've seen some runs at similar runs. They might mark it, you know, at 225 or whatever, you know. But it just seems like they're that spread, you know, they, they kind of they play with that a little bit. And, the you know, the judges, <clears throat> committees and things have, have kind of talked about having too many grouped up around a 215, 216. So they're like, you either got to mark that a 13 or you got to mark that a 16 or a 17. You know? mm-hmm. So they're trying to get some difference in there, you know, to where everything isn't bunched up and so tight, you know, together. Well, so I think they're using a little more spread, you know, at times. At, at the at the aged events, um, you know, weekend shows different because if you're judging like a weekend cutting or whatever and the first horse goes and he's – I mean, they they will throw a 75 out there, you know, on a weekend cutting or whatever, um, and then they'll go off that. And there might be a 77 before it's done, but might be a 79. Yeah, and exactly. it's okay. Yeah, <clears throat> but they they'll do that on a weekend show. But age events a little differently how they judge them over a you know a 12 horse class or open class or something, you know. Well, the 225s used to separate themselves, yeah. and now. It, it they're not because there's so many of them so i think down the road it's going to make it we're going to be a harder judge this, system this the two event for this hackmore class is going to be interesting like I say three more sets tomorrow i don't know what the bubble was when we got done tonight because it's not i can't i don't know i'm not technological enough to find that but there is around a 40 unbelievable how many horses are right around yeah. a 40 on two events I mean, that's a 220 and a 220, like give or take here or there. It is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I know there was 11 of them, and that was with maybe two sets to go tonight. There was 11 that were right in that range. Mm. And they're taking 19 to the finals. There's three sets tomorrow. That's with five sets to go. So I haven't checked since then. Wow. Yeah. And the gold standard used to be if you're 216s across the board, you're making any finals. Any finals anywhere. anywhere. Yep, 16s, that's a 648. 48, if you don't yes. have more letters behind your name than an O, 48, you might as well go on back home. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's, yeah. And it doesn't matter what age. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, I just, I didn't know, I say. It's Thank interesting you. to get the different perspectives on it, but. I, I think in every event, in every discipline, you'll see those ebbs and flows. I have a tape at home that's the Rain and Futurity Champions from, like, 88 or something to 2008. And to watch it, and, like, you see runs, and the scores keep getting higher. And I'm not going to say they're not getting better, but then it, like, hits a wall, and then they drop back down. Yeah, and then it's and like then start now, over. Now, the, now the winner was New a 219. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> and that run is better than the run that was a 226 the last year or whatever but yeah it's just interesting well, I, how those you know and i think like when i talked about greg ward winning the snap bit on sugar remedy and the herd work two judges i'm probably a three judge system two judges marked him a 78 but i think that was because they'd never seen anything like that before because he threw his hand down and that that's action every three cows and there's it's a non-stop moving action kind of deal and that mare's dialed in and right on and I think when they see something like that that they've never seen before, I think then they go like, holy crap. But we've marked fives and we've marked maybe sixes, but we marked out 78, you know, because they just hadn't seen anything like it. 
It'd be interesting to bring that video up. I'd, I'd like to get that somehow from John and, and see that because it was something else. When yeah, I, I it. would love to watch that myself. <clears throat> that was kind of like watching Jesse Lennox cut at the world's greatest hero last year, though, on that metallic curveball. I mean, he laid it down, and it was rank. And, I mean, like, you could kind of – one of those runs that you could have kind of handed him the scorecard score and said, out. you just fill this out however you see fit. Yeah. And, like I say, I mean, they marked him a lot, but there was no – you weren't going to overmark him. Yeah. Like, the scale only goes to 80. And if you wanted to hang that on him, like, you could have. And, like – You know, I judge a little bit before the – the new system you might say and you just watch the whole run and at the end of it you're like okay but you know and i've i've marked some 77s and i've marked uh fives and things like that but you know it's got to be it's got to be pretty flawless to mark a five in the rain work for example you know it's got to be everything's got to fall right with the amount of maneuvers that we have you know and and i've seen you know the 227s and stuff but i haven't seen a lot of them Right. I'm going to tell you what's happening probably as big now on the raining as anything is everyone is sending so hard now. They're going so hard that even if they do make a bobble, it's hard to take a ton away. Where in the older days, 70% of the people were playing it safe. And then 25% of the people that didn't play it safe bombed. And then there's five percent will pull it off. That's not that's not the case anymore. They're pulling off so many of the maneuvers with a few little flaws in there that it, they're your car just gets pushed up. Yeah, you can't help but okay. Well, it was still a zero. I mean, right? yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. You're look you're thinking plus one, and they have a bobble now. Are you going to go to a minus half? I mean, that's a long, long, when they get, when they come in there on a maneuver and they've got you thinking plus one, it is hard to make it bad enough to get to a minus half where when you come in there and you're thinking zero plus half, it's easy to get down to that zero and back to that, uh, minus half. But when you're thinking of one, it's most likely you fall to a plus half, right? That's not or zero at worst at worst. (laughs) And that's not much off. When that that horse can pull off the next six maneuvers, yeah. You know, I guess I was never one to, <clears throat> you know, cuss the judge, and I, I just always tried to figure out what they were looking at and what they were thinking about. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. try to adapt and try to adjust because you've you've I've had to do that through the years, you know. And and I think with the, you know, the the use of the monitors and 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 just the, you know the. The judging, the education that they get anymore and the judge scorecards and all that, I think it's all an improvement. And I think it's mm-hmm. it's doing about as good as it could do. Um, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I think on – sometimes in the, in the fence work, for example, there can be a high degree of difficulty where they don't credit enough. Uh, that's the only thing I could say is sometimes it's a situation where you, you know, as, as a – a rider, you're thinking, oh, man, you got to credit that right there, and somebody else might not, you know. But I, I think there's situations down the fence, and and that's maybe one of the hardest things to judge is the fence work, you know. 
Well, I just think that's your personal opinion because I think you've been undermarked for your fence works because you've made hard runs look easy my whole life. <laughs> I think that you, I, you would know, be I had people the tell biggest me that. example. I've, I've seen it. <laughs> well, you know, they this gal did an interview with me one time, and, and she she came out uh, this article back in the day in the California Horse Review or whatever, and, and she tagged it Mr. Smooth. So my my owners would all say, you know, you're just too smooth. You make it look too easy, and you need to be, like, falling off and look like you're <laughs> blowing a stirrup or doing something funny, you know? And so I I just always took that into consideration, but this wasn't my style, I guess. I, I just always I, – I thought in, in the old days, that's what I thought, go in there and be smooth, you know? Um, and, and uh, you know, now you have to be smooth and a little bit aggressive as well. And aggra- that, that's the difference now yeah. that I've probably seen within the last eight years or yeah. more. There was a time there when it just got wild – and that would mark. And now they've got that same amount of speed, but it's not wild. Yeah, it's it's so much more control. Not that there weren't some of those runs way back, but now, I mean, just like that Hackamore, now there's a hundred and how many Chris are in the Hackamore? A lot. Hundred and fifty, something like that. I can well, they run hundred. Our research team is playing chess over there, so I'll look it up myself. <laughs> There was a hundred, uh, almost 120 tonight, and there's three sets tomorrow. So, that's a lot of damn Hackamore horses. Yeah, 118 went today. Oh, no, excuse me. Because there's, no, that's not accurate at all. Holy crap. I don't know. You know, but the growth has That's been, why we don't have it's been yeah. nationwide, though, you know, like where yeah. I'm from. It's like we've had to add days to the Idaho show and just everywhere we go up there in the Intermountain region, it, there's been growth. And, and Everywhere. Everywhere. All the shows in Texas say that's in California, too. Same thing. Yeah. 118 plus 38. Nice. That's and, how many and you know, Russell and I were talking earlier, and there's people that are doing this good, and you—I've never seen them before. And they're—they're they're new players, and they're—I don't know where they learn from or whatever, but there's a lot of people out there and they're riding good horses. But good ones. Some of them that I've never oh. seen before. Speaking you know? of that, I was so bummed. I've got a friend from back east, Jed Lawrence, and he marks a 292 in the bridle class. And I call him last Monday night. I call him. I'm at swim lessons. Whatever sitting at sonic waiting on my food i'm like i called jed because like he's been coming back here for a few years and coming to the majors and kind of beating his head against the wall and boom he's gonna make the open bridal finals call me he's like well thanks old buck but i didn't enter the open oh, bridal. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he won the limited open bridal and yeah. he'd have made the open finals but uh yeah but uh but regardless man i mean how but that was cool man i was I was so pumped yeah. for him to do that good. And yeah, it was pretty sweet. So, But you've seen a lot of those guys come into the industry. Uh, you know, Zane Davis be a good example. Started out and didn't really know exactly what he was doing, but all of a sudden when he figured it out, it's like he's been on a roll, you know. On fire. He might be the fastest million dollar rider. I don't know if there's any stats on that, but that was from, that was first, check, from first check to million dollar check. That was – not very long. 
that guy. Yeah. So. Well. Well, it's only a quarter to midnight. I don't know why we're looking at each other like maybe we should wrap this up. <laughs> but I, I, I hate to leave. I mean, we have him. We have the the man cornered, and I hate to let him leave. But the one that started me, and the one that told me about Fred's the Fred's. hamburger joint here. Yeah, good one. It's closed now. No. Yeah, yeah it, you can go up to Western Center and go to Fred's, which Fred's here is no mas. Sorry. Don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. That's terrible. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, oh. John, we cannot thank you enough for joining us. And I don't know, I'm sure we we could probably go on and do a whole nother one. Yes. Yeah, we can do that. I got a lot of stories up my sleeve. We'll get on different subjects. I got a lot of stories. <laughs> <laughs> I met Russell. He was uh, in his dad's arena. I think he was 16, and, and uh, I went there with Greg to a roping, and, and he said, yeah, this, this boy, he can rope pretty good. So we entered up. I think we ended up third in the yeah. jackpot team roping. Met First time arena. we met. Matt and Arena. Been champions ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but winning. <laughs> One second to him in the greatest. That was cool. That is cool. That's a what's the favorite event you ever won? You know, I <clears throat> I'd have to say probably the world's greatest was pretty cool, you know. I, I mean I enjoyed that. The Futurity's a big one, you know. Um but the Derby, the, the Derby was always fun too, you know. Um, I don't know. I think I think the Derby, I won that three times. If you could only win one more event, one, what would it be? I think the Futurity be the one, you know, that'd be cool. The Futurity be fun. You know, I, and I love the world's greatest too, but there's something about the Futurity and the, it's, it's, it's kind of, the world's greatest is big, but the fraternity's bigger, in my opinion. But yeah, fun. it's a lot bigger. But the world's greatest down. is growing. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's world's crazy. Greatest paying 100, isn't it, this year? Yeah, every bit of year. it. Yeah. Oh, well, now that we have uh, Rose tapped off into telling Russell stories, looks like uh, we're not going anywhere for a while. <laughs> so that year I had nine head at the, at the pre-fraternity. I'm getting them ready, and I've got a horse in every set, so my ass is sore, and I'm I'm going at it. And uh, anyway, Russell was he he was in this phase where he was backing them up a lot, you know. So he's I'm I'm doing rundowns there at <clears throat> Paso Robles in the warm up arena, and I'm I'm kind of looking down there, and Russell he's going forward and then he's backing up, going forward and back, and I can't decide if I go behind him or in front of him. You remember that, and. So I run down through there, and he went over there and he stopped this horse. And he went backing up, and then I thought I'll go in front and I'll be behind. And anyway, I kind of stay straight, <laughs> and he he kind of backs up a little bit, and and I, I mean my my shin hit right on that mare's like hip, oh, you know, and it I I, I don't have a pain tolerance I don't think <laughs> because I was gonna 
Do you remember that? I had to get, I rode around for a while. I thought I was going to be tough, and then I start sweating, and I get dizzy. <laughs> and I got to get off. Then I'm going to have Jake Girl show her horse for me. <laughs> you killed the legend. <laughs> trying to move up a spot in the place. <laughs> Or nine. And, and you know, I, I think one guy, it takes nine horses down. <laughs> I think all oh, three times, too, three times he had, uh, you know, he, after his success and won the world's greatest three times, he, uh, he had like eight fraternity horses, I think, that same year, maybe the year before. I don't remember. But I remember he went through and he showed a bunch of them in the, in the herd work, you know, and he comes out. And this one horse, he he's kind of out in hell in the herd a little bit. And this one horse, he's got a good run. He comes out, he's proud, and he drops a bit. And Jerry Girl's checking bits. Twisted it's a twisted wire, wire stuff. Are you kidding me? Oh, it was so horrible. You it was poor, stupid thing. Horrible. There was so many of them, and it was wreck after wreck <laughs> after wreck. And you finally get through finally one. break a seventy, and you got the wrong bit on twisted wire. <laughs> that shit was so terrible. <laughs> it was the worst. That's the greatest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> uh, that that said that deal, whatever was going wrong there, was bad enough that it's the only time I've ever been apprehensive about showing. Like, <laughs> lo losing's never been bad, but I had. I actually had dreams I don't of wanna, how bad I'm, it was. I, I don't want to go. go. I, I don't want to go. go in the I don't want to go. <laughs> Not going again. The <laughs> night before, I had this horrible dream that was all going to go bad, and then it did. It did. <laughs> that's that's why his head looks like From it does. <laughs> <laughs> he pulled all his hair out, ready, ready for that prefaturity. <laughs> oh, that was the worst. That was too many. So, okay, speaking of that, what about recurring nightmares, John? you have any recurring nightmares? No, no, not really. Really? What do you mean not really? I, well, I did, have a, I did have a dream the other night. I, I watched, jeez, uh, um, let me get the guy's name. We don't talk about porno on here. No, no. Okay. <clears throat> I probably shouldn't tell this story. <laughs> I can't think of we his can, name. You tell it, and then we'll decide, and we'll edit Elon it. Elon Musk. So I watch this. this uh, we're staying in a house over here, and it's got Netflix. So I watch this show on Elon Musk and Starlink and, and uh, what's it called? Uh, where he's, his, his, uh, he's going to go into space and all that. But anyway, I'm wa watching this show on Elon Musk, and I'm, like, falling asleep. And the next morning I have this dream that Elon Musk is, like, Tanya's there, and she's, like, like, kissing his butt you know and he's a he's a, gonna buy a fifty thousand dollar year then for me <laughs> and and she's not paying any attention to me but she's like over there catering to elon musk you know <laughs> so that's not a reoccurring nightmare but that's you know, just a nightmare i never really had a lot of nightmares but that was that was just one of those what about you russell we've never really talked about this do you have any oh i had a terrible one i was on this mountain or hill and it had cow trails all the way around it, bombed the top, and a bear's after me. And we're just around and around, and I can never, ever, ever get away. I'd have to wake up, go in the bathroom, and turn the lights on, and try not to go back to sleep for a while. And then I'd come back, go back to sleep, and there he is, around the deal. 
That one, I had that one for a while. I yeah, hated that one. That one, and then you guys there are would weird. be ones where I got in a fight, and I, I'm going to just tear this guy's head off, and when I hit, it's just paper mache. I can't make my arms work, and I swing harder, and it still doesn't hurt him. And, you know, like, that's frustrating. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself, Chris? You got any? Nope. Nope. You're you lying. guys make me feel weird now. <laughs> You're lying. lying. You guys make me all self-conscious about my recurring dreams. Right about your daughter locking herself in the... No, no, I've never had any dreams. That was, that, was, there. that was just reality. Yeah. Lock them in the pantry with no can opener. They're in there for a month. <laughs> you need to... You need to make it so you can unlock the pantry from the inside. Right. If you hear the drill start. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. What's your dream? Well, mine is going in the arena and uh, I'm late and I don't know the pattern. And instead of like just going in there and like doing a pattern, like, like at the major events, especially like it's pretty sad. Like, you got a pretty good chance at guessing, right? I mean, it's either two large, fast, and a small, slow, and change leads, or it's a large, fast, small, slow, large, fast, change leads, or it's two circles. Like, those are kind of your three options at a major event, right? And you're going to spin towards maybe away, probably towards. But instead of just picking something and doing it, I do parts of each pattern. <laughs> and, like, I'm trotting to the gate, and, like, I'm, normally I'd be like, hey, Somebody tell me the pattern, but there's no one there. <laughs> like, I'm all prepared, but I have forgotten to check the pattern. And now it's, it's I'm late. on my own. There's no one to, there's no one to ask. You need more 7 out. Well, I guess I have had, now that you talked about that, I have had the reoccurring nightmare of I'm at the horse show, and I can't find my show shirt, and I can't find my boots, and I can't find my... I can't find stuff and I'm trying to get ready and like I'm up in like five minutes and I can't find stuff. That's, that's that I have had that one. I almost had that today, but it, they're <laughs> not a dream. <laughs> so we've got a bunch of shirts embroidered. We're now partnered with war horses for veterans. It's a sweet oh, deal. These guys are nice. doing great things for, for our troops. Um, once they come home and getting them, dealing with some PTSD stuff and they do some stuff with some first responders as well. It's in Kansas city, but we just got all these shirts back from the embroiderer getting these new stuff on here. So I might, and I know that there's a half a dozen to a dozen shirts hanging in my tack room. So I'm flagging horses and I'm like, okay, well I'm up in the fifth set. So there's a lunch break after the fourth. So like during the fourth set, I slip back to the stalls and I'm like, Hey, make sure my horse is saddled in this nut. And I get back there, my horse is saddled and ready to go. I step in the tack room. There's no shirts in the tack room. Zero. And, like, I've kind of cut this a little close. And now I call my wife. She doesn't answer. <laughs> this and is I, your dream, Roger. So I walk out to the, I walk to the end of the alleyway to find my golf cart so I can drive to the fifth wheel to go get it. There's no golf cart. Like, I mean, it's not like the end of the world. Like, I could have, like, ran to the fifth wheel, but, like, I really need to be, like, I hadn't factored this in to my day. 
And then about that time, she calls back. And, well, I'm just, hey, I just took those shirts to the dry cleaner. I'm like, okay, well, where are you? I'm at the trailer. Okay, can you bring me? Oh, yeah, I can bring you. Oh, okay. But, I mean, there was that. They were blowing. They had the running the blower. So there's all this noise. And then Stefan, God loves Stefan. I love Stefan. And he is fantastic at everything except DJing. Because in the barn alley, there he is playing some stupid bro country. <laughs> so there's this, it's just this slew of things that piled up on me all right at once. And I was like, Kalen, please f- help my chi right now. Like, I need my, my mojo is not right. You need to ter- fix this radio situation. My wife's bringing me a shirt, but I'm fixing to have to try and beat somebody. And I'm listening to Bro Country. This is not acceptable. I think that this is a dream. This it's not a dream. Real. This happened today. This can't be real. Oh my god, it was horrible. I wanted. I thought I was wishing it was a dream. <laughs> like I'm really pretty easy to get along with most of the time, but I was like, man, you people are messing with my emotions right now. <laughs> I'm trying to get ready for a gunfight, and y'all are messing with my emotions. <laughs> wow. You ever have the one where you you walk into some big party or something and you don't have any pants on? That's not a dream either, Russell. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Russell, when he was younger, he was pretty, he probably still is, but he was very athletic. But I've seen him, I think we're in Winnemucca and, and he's at the, we're dancing and he goes to the wall and he runs up the wall and does like a flip. Hands on his feet. I'd like to see some proof of that. There's it a wall. <laughs> There's a wall that right was, there. Hey, that was Medford, Oregon. Maybe. I, it was I've the seen, same I've time I had to dress up with stupid Jim Paul in the <laughs> in the dance hall girl costumes and Wesley's other son. Jim, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, that's what we didn't come back from break with was Jim Putnam wanting to dress up like a saloon Paul, girl. Jim oh, Paul, Jim Paul. Jim Paul. Not wanting to, it happened. (laughs) It happened, and I refused to take my pants off (laughs) because (laughs) I refused. I just knew it was some sorry trick that he was pulling. How did this not come up when we interviewed him? I don't know. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) Someone come up with a picture the other day from the office a few months ago. I probably one of Leslie's, maybe. Huh? Leslie used to take a lot of pictures up there. In yeah, it was one of her pictures. The <laughs> I've had to def- I've had to stop her camera before. Poor John Ward. <laughs> that party at River Ranch. I can't. Maybe it was Ronnie Richards' birthday party. He got so drunk, and we're going to go. It must have been at Ronnie's. I don't know why, but we're going to go. I'm trying to get him back home, and he's gone to go pee, and he can't get his pants. His pants have fallen all the way down. He can't get them up, and here comes Leslie with the camera. And I'm like, no. no. I'm fighting her off trying to help John. Leslie, she's got a, a, a treasure chest of photos, though. I mean, she's got some good ones. Remember they had the one year at Ben, they had the – dunk tank and i think yes. you had bob avila and ted robinson and those people with the dunk tank and you could go over there and throw the ball try to dunk them or whatever but it was, it was they always had fun up there it was a fun deal 
She was wild. It was wild. They had good parties in that barn now. Yep. Always. Our yep. dunk tank in Arizona, I thought, was a little disappointing because you volunteered and they dunked you, and then they were just like, now you were done. Like, if you're in a dunk tank, I feel like you're in a dunk tank for a set amount of time, and you heckle people. Like, we did that one year at the Southwest, and it was fun. Like, you heckled them while they were throwing oh, yeah, at you, right? Oh, yeah, for like, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you've been to a dunk tank at the fair. I mean, it's some they jack wagon you. in there, and they're like, hey, you throw like a girl. <laughs> <clears throat> well, but, yeah, in Arizona, it was like, oh, the trainers volunteered. They got up there, and as soon as somebody dunked them. They were out. You're out. And go, like. That well, doesn't this, seem right. Yeah, this seems like I wore shorts to the horse show for no reason. <laughs> I remember too. She had those chimps, you know, and she had the she had a van, and she had her one chimp. Her name was Susie, and they, she told us we'd go up to see the snow leopard. So we walk up the hill, and we're in the cage with the snow leopard, and, and looking at it. Hey, is the snow leopard anything like a buffalo heifer? Not nothing. Like no, that. okay. No. Just got a, kind of a same similar tail, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so she's got this this chimp, Susie, and she's big. She's in the in the passenger seat of her car, and and Leslie's over there showing us the snow leopard, and and Susie's over there in the car, and she's got a pen in her mouth. She's chewing this pen up, you know. She's like, Susie, quit that, you know. She just talked to her like she's a kid. Susie, you quit that, you know. And she's sitting in there eating the pen up. But they had to. The male, his name was Topo, and Topo was kind of like you'd hear him screaming and stuff. You, you've heard him, huh? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't see but Topo. Topo was in him. a cage there, and I guess, you know, Leslie got along good with Topo, but they were rescued chimps, and Topo, though, I think one time Matt went in there, and, and he did something, and Matt kind of tried to reprimand him, and Topo, like, hit him, hurt him, like broke something in his back you know yeah oh geez right yeah get a little violent them chimps are got that that's midget not strength. No game yeah teddy said he saw him t- taking an impact <laughs> wrench putting the bolts on for the cage and the chimp was in there and they're putting them on with the impact wrench and he's taking them off taking there. the nuts off there you go by hand they're they're strong they're supposed to be like seven times the strength of a human, you know. Yeah, that's what Greg used to tell Smokey all the time. Nobody can ride your horses. You're seven times stronger than a human. <laughs> so I see Smokey the other day. He's walking back to the judge's room with his polio sticks. And he's, I'm like, Dad, come Smokey, getting along good. He says, you want to trade? <laughs> <laughs> Did no. I tell you, Smoke judged at uh, the pre-fraternity, and he got a cart, or we got him a cart or something. And, uh, you know, in the prefert arenas down there, there's those elevators that come down. Mm-hmm. And he comes down the elevator, and they're <coughs> judging the cutting in there, and he's watching, and he drives right off of that three-step ledge. Oh. I said, how did it land? He said, it was a, a little rough, but I kept her upright. <laughs> I remember one year, uh, I think Stan Fonson had made the finals on this mare, and, uh, and, and it was back before the fall-down rule. And so Stan 
this horse falls down, kind of hurts him, and they get back up and finish the run or whatever. So he's hurt, and he can't show in the finals. So he has Smokey show that horse. Sure enough, in the finals, and in the fence work finals, Smokey, that same mare fell down with Smokey. Oh, geez. Yeah. It's kind of like the year that uh, Clayton Edsel. Clayton. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then and Justin he, bailed on there and did him again? Yeah. <laughs> Poor little Johnny. Yeah, Johnny Isolina. Uh-huh. Yeah, that Johnny was a, was a big breakout horse for him. That was pretty good. That was a, that was a good wreck, too. That's one of them wrecks we were talking the other day that I think everybody that enters the box drive box class needs to watch. We need to have, like, a defensive driving video <laughs> and let them watch some of the crap that can happen out here. So they don't put themselves in harm's way. <laughs> Lori Ward flipped over it. Uh, um, I think it was it was I think it was Idaho, but could have been Paso. But she flipped over and she just put a bunch of lipstick on. And when she hit, she hit face first. <clears throat> and I run out there to get her. And when she looked up, it looked like the gingerbread man because <laughs> <laughs> lipstick was so full of sand and dry lashes. <laughs> oh my god! I laughed. <clears throat> One year at Idaho, you you remember the the jeans uh, company that sponsored the Derby in Woodside? And they had the gusset or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so they had this gusset in the crotch area. You know, that's supposed to be you know comfortable, more comfortable. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> Russell's showing at Idaho, and he goes down the fence, and this mare, she gets. <laughs> Goes down there and turns and gets down, and Russell goes up over that mare's head, grabs the top rail of the fence, and that gusset caught his horn and jerked him right back in the saddle, and they turned and went on with it. But they, <laughs> they had they had a picture of that, a and so the next year is. I think they didn't they hang that picture up on the fence or something. The Sandy Collier. And I've seen Lynn the picture. Anderson. I didn't realize there was a gusset in the britches. Had the gut. Well, I don't know. You, I made it. <laughs> there again russell's athleticism that year that um rain dancer brought all the videos into that party we had afterwards and played the wrecks and mike miller his horse flipped over and landed on him and it, he hit so hard it looked like he went underground oh god oh, my lord and played it slow motion oh they could show that one. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. You know, uh, so Wayne Hinder's wife hit us up. I guess he's back in Australia about interviewing him. And my, he's, she's like, he's trying to explain to me. I'm like, you mean Wayne Hinder? <laughs> yeah, I know Wayne. <laughs> we love to interview Wayne. You have a little Wayne. trouble with that accent. <laughs> All right. All right. Not as much as Ricky. Oh, dear yeah, Lord. we've had to hold off Ricky Nicolazzi on doing an interview because we we're afraid that people won't uh, understand. Yeah, him. translator, please. <laughs> <laughs> I went and did a, a clinic in Italy one time, and Ricky was there. And uh, he wasn't the translator, but they had a translator. But it was so hard to do a clinic when you when nobody speaks English, you know, because you got a translator there, and you say something, and they translate, and then somebody else in the crowd might say something, and it's a question, and then they got to translate to you, and 
it was kind of that language barrier, but Ricky spoke pretty good English and he was there at that time, but it was, it was, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Good food in Italy. Oh, it was, the culture there is amazing. They have all this amazing food and they're so down on McDonald's and fast food and it's horrible for you and don't eat it, it'll ruin your body. And they all smoke. <laughs> just incessantly and drink <laughs> smoke and drink constant yeah and you can go in the bar if you're like 13 you yeah. see kids in the bar you know but the culture over there is cool because there's no um you know there's no generation gap you know it's like there might be a 14 year old kid and a 70 year old man you know hanging mm -hmm. out together and it's pretty cool that'd be neat i'd like to go over there sometime that place fun where else have you been? Where else have horses taken you around the world? You know, I, I don't know. I've been all over. You know, uh, they used to uh, to try to get the National Rain Cow Horse Association going, you know, in the early years. We used to, a lot of the trainers would donate their time, and we'd go to affiliates across the country. So we, you know, like I did a, I did a, I did a clinic in Italy, and then I did a judge's seminar and, and actually carded some judges over there, and then... Um, I remember years ago we went to Perry, Georgia, and and I did a clinic, and then we they did a horse show, and I judged it, you know. Um, and it's funny that you're judging a lot of the people you just got done giving a clinic to. It was kind of odd, but and they got they got into it. Those people had fun with it. But yeah, I've I've been all over doing clinics through the years, and and I used to donate probably I'd do a couple a year, and and you know that's when uh, Teddy Teddy would do a lot of them, Bob Avila did a lot of them, and. I'm sure Todd went and did some of them too, but there's a lot of those that we did through the years just to try to get people involved in it, you know. And, and in the early years, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, former executive directors and, and stuff, they'd, they'd come back to Texas. That's how they got Carol Rose involved in the cow horse was they actually knocked on her door, you know, and, you know, for the stakes and stuff to try to get her stallion sponsors, you know, and then, you know, pretty soon she got involved and, and uh, you know, was on the board for a long time. And, and uh, but, but yeah, I've been all over the U.S. I haven't been many foreign countries, you know, but, but it was, it was kind of fun to see uh, where people were at, different places you go, you know, and, and how the horses were and how they've evolved since then, you know, it's, it's like in Italy, it was surprising how many, there was like four or five really good horses over there and the rest of them weren't real trained you know but there were some real good horses there you know that they imported and uh yeah it was it was it was uh really cool to see the culture though you know and 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 it's funny because the trailers um a lot of them they had vans a few of them had vans but if you had a dodge truck you were really you know pretty cool they pulled them big old horses in there in a car with this little one and a quarter inch ball on, uh, I mean, big old dressage, the whatever kind of horse, and just a little old fiberglass trailer. Fiberglass trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, the cattle, they hauled the cattle in there for that clinic from France. They came from France. And, and actually, there wasn't many cattle in Italy. but the, Were they Charlet? They were. They, they were. were man. And, and they come in there, and they had individual dividers for each cow in the trailer. <laughs> oh lord unload them with halters no but they they were all right i mean they they were okay but we 
you know, and some of those guys over there, like Marcus and, and some of those guys, Ricky and Marcus and them guys were, they were, you know, they'd been over here, spent some time over here, but, you know, some of those guys, pretty good hands over there, though. You know, I think the raining's big there. The, they don't do a lot of cutting because there's just not, not a lot of cattle. But <clears throat> no more cattle in France, I guess. But they had to import them from France for mm. the clinic. I went over there and we worked uh, Watusis and Buffalo. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> the Buffalo were pretty good. You wanted to pick the right one for the fence, but he'd do it all day. I don't know. It was just, uh, you know, like they, they didn't do, we didn't do herd work. We just boxed the cow or, or went down the fence, but I don't remember herd work. They probably didn't have enough cattle to do the herd work, you know. <laughs> I went over there to one of them and they brought Holsteins for the herd work. It was about three of them is about all we could get worked and they couldn't get them drove out of the herd. And that was a dressage arena, so the walls were on a slant. And when they tried to put the panels up and lock them back there to run down the fence, they just run down the wall and jump over the panel because you couldn't get it up to the wall. It was a disaster. Yeah, all the walls have that slant yeah, to them. It was, it was terrible. I'm like, hey, we need to have a cup of coffee. And I need to think about this a minute. <laughs> so we finally just built a round pin in the middle, put all the Holsteins in the middle in the round pin, kicked one out. And they would kind of go up and down the fence and then circle around that round pin. And we had guys in there, a couple guys in there with brooms to poke them on the round, <laughs> <laughs> the round pin. They always had to put it back in there again. We, we did a clinic one time in Gillette, Wyoming. And we flew in there and it was like 40 below. And it was cold at the Camplex there oh. in Gillette. And uh, I remember they brought a load of cattle and they opened that overhead door and they brought the cattle in and it was so cold, that cold air coming there. And, and that there was just <clears> fog. <throat> you couldn't even see the cattle. And so Glenn Barlow, non-pro was, was cutting and we got a picture. We had a picture of him. He, you could see Glenn, but you couldn't see his horse and you couldn't see the cattle. It was just that cold <laughs> air. We just hovering really? in the arena. And then I remember we, that was back, uh, you had a key to unlock the motel door and we got out of our truck to get in the motel and and it wouldn't unlock it froze up or something and you're out there in that for like a minute or two and you got to get back in the truck or it'll frostbite your lungs you know when it's 40 below but it was it's funny because you go to the restaurant and everybody's vehicles outside the restaurant's running i'd never been in that cold weather and and uh clark miller or or clark reynolds he said, oh, this is God's country. This ain't this ain't cold. He said, you want to go where it's cold? Go over there where Mike Miller lives in Big Piney. And I guess it is colder there. But I know when we flew in there, they said that with the wind chill in Cody, Wyoming, was 60 below. And that's cold. There's no reason to live, live in places like that. That's how Mike Miller froze his lungs. <laughs> yeah. So Mike Miller had a, had a horse that they was ranch-raised. And his name was Qaddafi Skull. I think he was a bucking horse of the year in the saddle bronc riding for, for the PRCA. And uh, Mike said he got he got his vest hooked over the horn and his horse went to bucking with him. And and he said it was really cold and he said he couldn't get that. And he rode bronx pretty good back in the day, but he couldn't get that vest unhooked from the horn and that horse kept bucking and bucking and bucking and he frostbit his lungs and he had to spend the rest of the winter in the house. He couldn't go back outside, but... 
he said that horse, they had a portable buck and shoot in his indoor arena. And he said that horse could take that or that buck and shoot wherever he wanted to go with it. He just was a crank. And I guess they tried to, this guy worked for him. And I guess uh, bucked him off about five different times, you know. And he said they, 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 they were going to put him in a sale and sell him, and then they didn't sell him, and then ended up bucking everybody off, and they ended up making a bucking horse out of him. But I, I don't know what year it was, but he ended up being the PRC Saddle Bronc Horse of the Year. Mm-hmm. I think he might be in the Hall of Fame. But Mike Cowboy on him for a while. They, they rode, they used him on the ranch, tried to ride him anyway. Yeah. That cold country. It's a hard way to winter. Gaddafi Skull was the first Wyoming born and raised horse to be voted PRCA Bareback Horse of the Year in 1990. All right, bareback, yeah. He went on to win the award twice more for Powder River Rodeo in 95 and 96. Starting in 89, the Blue Roan Gilding went to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo 16 consecutive years and was voted Horse of the Year 94, 96, and 99. Also competed in 15 Dodge National Circuit Finals rodeos. Powder River Rodeo owners Hank and Lori Franzen credit Gaddafi Skull with putting their company on the map, helping a relatively new stock contracting firm establish itself in the PRCA after buying him from Ray Sanborn in 1989 as a six-year-old. They left Mike Miller out of the story, but I've heard yeah. the story before. I know oh, he yeah. come from Mike's, but apparently Ray Sanborn must have bought him from Mike. Yeah, and then bucked him until they bought him. <clears throat> Mike, he, that guy, he's a cowboy, though. I mean, he's <clears throat> to the core. I see he's here at Dirty, too. Oh, is yeah. he? Yeah. There's another Mike Miller. Yeah, from Utah, Mike, Mike Miller from Utah. Is the Wyoming- Mike Miller from Wyoming here? Yes. Oh, well, really? Both Mike Millers are here, yeah. Mike Miller from Utah. It wasn't from... me. He did it. <laughs> they both have an alibi. <laughs> Durag. Utah is Durag. That's how he introduced himself to me years ago in Reno. The Mike Miller from Utah. Oh, I really? Guess. Yep. Because, I don't know, he's bald. He wears a Durag. Oh. My favorite Mike Miller story is Tara and her cow her the pvc cow. framed cow that she used to scare the hell out oh, of everything yeah. i remember that <laughs> my goodness she had a she had a pvc pipe about 10 footer and she had a sheet on the side and then she had like a buffalo head <laughs> maybe a paper mache buffalo head on the front of it and she'd bring it like to fresno and she'd have, she'd just move it back and forth and <clears throat> wouldn't have to run that much because she could move that head around and uh, I remember Greg Ward saying something to her, like, why don't you get that freaking buffalo out, head out of here, you know? <laughs> it was spooking everybody's horse, you know, oh. but Mike's horses were kind of used to it. I remember her traipsing across that rodeo pen in Reno, and them three-year-olds looked like a pack of cockroaches <laughs> scattering. <Yeah. laughs> One year, uh, Clark Randall's up there in, in Wyoming when they do those, or those clinics. He said... Uh, Teddy come up there to do the clinic, and, and she kept saying, and, and Tara's kind of hearing impaired, and she kept telling Bob, she kept telling uh, Teddy, boy, you're good. She goes, and I think, you know, it's kind of her thoughts are just vocal, you know. So she's like, 
Boy, you're good. Boy, you're, you're almost good as Bob Avila. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, speaking of Teddy and Bob, did you, did you ever do any training DVDs? No, Videos? No, no, I never did. No. I did a lot of clinics, you know, but never did any DVDs or anything. I, I was working for Polygon uh, at the South Point there for uh, the year that the Heroes and Friends come in there and did the first Heroes and Friends in, in Las Vegas. And the UNLV rodeo team also t twice a week, they, I'd have to be done by four o'clock because they'd come in there and practice. And But the Heroes and Friends, they all showed up there and I lived right there and my house was right out right out in front of the parking lot. And uh, it was kind of interesting because I watched some of it. And then I, I think I might have went to a horse show somewhere doing cutting or something. But um, I remember when they all showed up, there was Todd and John Slack and Bob and Teddy. You know, they all showed up there and did the, heroes, the first Heroes and Friends right there at the South Point or at the, at the Rock and K, I should say, in Vegas. It was... I think they did a few in Vegas. I think they did one at the Excalibur or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was probably 99 or so, I guess. Yeah, about. I remember that coming out. Yeah, that was really before, I mean, before or since, that's about the only big conglomerate kind of collaborative sort of instructional video for the Cowboys yeah. that there's ever been that I can recall. I mean, you had Lynn and Sandy doing their deal. Yeah. And then John Ward had that, that video they produced. Uh, Western you know, Ways. Yeah. <clears throat> With Greg. Really? Yeah. Because they had a big boom and cam camera with a boom on it and everything, so they did some overhead stuff. It was kind of cool. Yeah. It was a long time ago. I wonder how you get a copy of that. Mm, Dar Hansen. Be the best batter, John. I think Dar. I think Dar knows how to get him. Why don't you work on that, Russell? Okay. Maybe we can sell him on the Cow Horse Full Contact. Be sweet. Website that Ben manages, sells merchandise out of. That would be an easy one because it's only one size. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one size, one color. Yeah. I wonder what everybody's going to do with the DVD when they get it. Throw it at people. Use it for a coaster. <laughs> Use it for a coaster. <laughs> It'll look just about like this ring that this gal's lunging this horse around on. <laughs> wonder how many horses have been lunged in the... Will Rogers on the white sand. I, I think they kind of frown on lunging at the cut, and so. <laughs> yeah. And you got old Silver Lining down there wandering around the loping pen. What do you call him Silver Lining? For? Well, for a couple reasons. Most of his shirts With have the them silver. little silver threads through them, you know, them old school shirts like my yeah. grandpa wore. <laughs> and he also, he's just. He's kind of always in a good mood. He just always kind of sees the silver lining in things. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Trevor Carter. 
Trevor Silverlining Carter. If I had MC Cowhammer, I'd be in a good mood too. <laughs> I love when he shows him and he stands up there and them old silver lining shirts are just whooping in the breeze. <laughs> Sparkling. Sparkling and whooping in the breeze. It looks like a flag. It's like the flag girl running around the rodeo. <laughs> he will breeze that rascal around. Oh, my goodness. Well, gentlemen, it is 12.30. Well, we don't have to school one. <laughs> I don't show until Friday. Want to? Do I want to school one? Yeah. You can school my, maybe you school my hackamore horse. I'll let John school my bridle horse, and I'll sit up here and have another cocktail and watch. <laughs> <laughs> I can make that short-lived. He'll come right down there. <laughs> I'll do the backing, and you run into him. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, uh, we, we, me and Russell, we spent a lot of, we spent a lot of time together at horse shows through the years been fun yeah i don't know we we went to i don't we never traveled together but we were always kind of there like we're there yeah think about some of these people that have been around for a long time uh <clears throat> one person is like kathy wilson or debbie sanguinetti it seemed like every horse show i ever went to in my life they were there they were there you know somebody showed people me a like picture that. of the the board from mm-hmm. 19 was it you Mm-mm. no 1980 or it was 80. on the book of faces the other day though I see oh it. when Ken Wold was they president maybe <clears throat> yeah it's pretty good back when Methuselah wore short pants <laughs> didn't really had to guess it <laughs> <laughs> Back when Russell was still wearing men's britches. <laughs> Sponsored by Oakley. Until <laughs> I got my surgery. How's that working out? Good. You just took your glasses off. See? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well... I think we're good. Pretty damn. You're good. rubbing your eyes. It's my eyebrows. I get tangled, <laughs> <laughs> but not with my hair. <laughs> you know, when I was little, my grandma would bend my arm like this, and then she'd lick her hand and spin rub it, your and hair it would together. spin your hair together on your arm, and then you're oh, locked. Yeah. I think we should lock Russell's eyebrows together. <laughs> <laughs> They're too coarse. You'll hurt your hand. <laughs> They'll stab you in your little cut finger. You'll bleed all over. Bleed out through my little paper cut. Shocking what that'll do. Oh, and everything finds it. Oh, it's horrible. I went and bought two really soft hackamore ropes. (laughs) Oh, man. Them coarse hackamores. I, I don't know where. I got just a little splinter a day ago. And I got on my hackamore horse, and I don't know how, but the hair <coughs> found its way in that small splinter hole. <laughs> it's impossible. I couldn't do that if I tried. Nope. Nope. Mm. Just by luck. Don't forget to check out this week's sponsor.
Triple Crown Feeds. You can reach them at www.triplecrownfeed.com. All right, gentlemen. Well, John, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Generous with your time. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to uh, – maybe we'll get John Ward rounded up this week and we'll get both of you guys on here. Oh, that would yeah. be fun. That yeah. would be fun. All right. Well, till next time, folks, go fast, make good decisions. Thank you for listening to Cow Horse, Full Contact. Please like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram to stay tuned for future episodes.